what really gets my dick hard is Welcome to the Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this is episode number 56, and we're tackling a big a big item this week. Yeah. Thanks to Kevin Van Dam, who's a patron of the show. He came to our party, which, by the way, the party went really well. Uh, party on, Clint. <laughs> party on, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Ethan. Yeah, party, we, had a, yeah. we had a great time, man. It was so fun. We, we, we didn't really... Uh, know what to expect as far as attendance and th- stuff like that but we had this it was packed out yeah the front bar was super packed out and uh we met a lot of new faces of people that uh were our listeners who have emailed in we hadn't really met you know put that face to an email yet so it was really really cool unless you all were we, next week we're doing a whole episode on the party we were able to record our trivia segments and so on and uh so fear not uh we did mention I mentioned on the forums that uh, that our trivia was a little too hard for most people, so people are pretty anxious to hear what the questions were. Well, and here's the thing: is that we we kind of ran out of time that night, and we had a a third round of trivia which we didn't get to. So maybe we can do a little um, trivia on the show, and people Ooh. can play along at home. Okay, cool. Um, even though we compiled the trivia, <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm saying we can ask the questions. Ah, I see. People can play along at home, and we can maybe, you know... We'll get, wait for them to write us a letter saying if they know the <laughs> exactly. answer. Or we'll ask the questions at the end of the episode. We'll give them the answers and see how well they, they fared. So stay tuned for next week. We're going to have the whole recap from the party. The party was a blast. Thank you to all of you who uh, either came to the party or had nice words who wish they could be there and all that. It was very yeah. cool. If you don't know who we are, you're joining us for the first time. Uh, we're an all-Metallica podcast. Ethan and I are professional touring musicians. Once a week, we get together to talk about our favorite band, Metallica. Uh so uh, we're going to be talking about the box set. Yep, and we have Kill a lot. Them all box set. And we have a lot to get through. So um, let's kind of run through this stuff. Um, the housekeeping stuff. We're doing this uh, contest every month. Ethan and I give away five gifts, five Metallica gifts, yep. Metallica themed gifts. Last month we gave out the Ride the Lightning box set. The month before the Puppets box set. This month we're actually giving out the remastered vinyl of Kill 'Em All. Yep, and four other gifts. It's really easy to win. All you got to do to win these gifts is go to iTunes and leave us a positive review. Your name goes into a queue. We draw five names a month. It's that goddamn easy. It's so simple. It's the simplest. It, it, it's the simplest thing you can do with your day. And, you know, the reviews really go uh, a long way in helping us become more visible. So even if it's just out of the kindness of your own heart, yeah. it only takes a second. Go leave us that review. Don't not do it. Yeah, don't not do it. Do it. Just do it. Definitely do it, but don't not do this it. This episode sponsored by Nike. <laughs> Just do it. Just do it. Uh, so that's what that contest is. We're on Twitter. Go follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. It's yep. a lot of fun. We post videos of us playing Metallica songs and funny story updates. Yeah. And I'd say Instagram is probably where we're the most active, but well, you're pretty active with Twitter. Yeah. I'm, lately I've been trying to like be less active know, me too. on social media in general not just for the podcast me too. but it's tough when we do a show like this and people are constantly reaching out to us you know I, I don't want to be the asshole I, that's when, like, it, yeah. when I was younger meaning like four years ago when I was on Facebook I argued a lot on social media just getting in heated conversations about mainly about politics and society some religion stuff and I've since cut all that shit out got off Facebook I got into a Twitter argument last night and really i didn't see this and it it really bummed me out like i, I was like why the fuck am i wasting my fucking time was this through your yeah Twitter it was account? through my own personal okay. i got an argument with um these two managers 
like band managers band managers okay. and i just hate managers so much <laughs> like i hate them so much you guys listening managers and i hope they are i i want you all to know i hate you and that <laughs> i know and that i'm on to you and i know that what you do is you fake your way through your entire career leeching off the true talent of the people that you represent shit i was gonna ask clint if i could manage <laughs> him tonight in his songwriting career but anyway i got into this argument with these two managers they kind of they kind of ganged up on me a little bit yeah and they were they were pretty rude to me one of them called me a dick and i just thought why why am i doing this to myself well it's 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 that it's thing so like not when, worth it you know whenever you, you know we'll get you know, negative comments on youtube or whatever it's like it's a tr it's that troll mentality of like I'm gonna sit behind my phone or my computer or my iPad or whatever and I can say whatever I want because that person's not in front of my face. Totally. Now, if those two managers were in front of your face, they might not have called you a dick to well, your one face. One of them I actually know personally and have done that, and he okay. he just changes his whole vibe when he's online. And here's another thing that I did, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I did try to go about it respectfully. Sure, like let the discourse speak for itself. It that's never rewarded. They no. were way way less gracious to me. Then I was being to them. It ended with one of the guys calling me a dick, and I just thought, you know what? The, the social contract's over. Like, yeah. I can't talk to these fucking people. I can't. I've, uh, I don't know. We're kind of getting off topic here a little bit, but um, I've, I've purposefully refrained from getting into debates on social media, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Well, you're a wise man. I, I'm trying to be. I, I'm not that smart in general life, but I feel like I've been smart in social media because I, I see friends that, that I disagree. I feel I see friends like posting something that's like you you know within an hour there's gonna be like five thousand comments of people arguing and, and it never nothing gets resolved ever. All the people that comment, it's really rare. They never go. Oh, you know what? You really it's, turned me around super there, Clint. Rare. Yeah. Right. So I just refrain from it. I'm like, you know what? If I see someone post something and I like. If it actually affects me and hurts me, I might reach out to that person. But chances are, I'm going to be like, eh, none of these people are going to remember this shit tomorrow. They're going to argue about something else. It's weird. Like, yeah, out of all my years arguing on the internet, occasionally you'll have one of those rare things where it's like, you know what? Um, I don't necessarily agree, but I see your point and I appreciate, I value your different perspective. Yeah. And that like feels like a fucking miracle. It, it, it's a modern day miracle. It's what it really is. <laughs> so anyway, all that to say, us. we're on Twitter. <laughs> Here's what it mostly is, is other diehard fans like you and me talking about Metallica. So it's super fun and yeah. it's funny. So none of that, yeah. none of the, the discursive shit is on there. It's if you're fine. a manager, better not follow our podcast account because Clint will fucking come after you. Well, I guess I've just made uh, it hey. clear. <laughs> My name's uh, Johnny Manager, and uh, I'd love to manage you, Clint. I'm a I'm a trustworthy manager. No, what do you think? I'm different. I, I'm one of the good ones. I swear, ones. I put the artist integrity first. It's like a. Um, I'm sure you don't frequent strip clubs often. I don't either, but <laughs> I, I have watched movies and read about it. But it's like when a dude falls in love with a stripper. It's like, dude. Don't fall in love with the stripper. He's like, no, this this one's different, man. I swear, I can. She really I can, likes. Me. I can change her. She loves me. She just does it for the passion and, the, and just to feed her kid. No, I heard you don't like managers, but uh, um, push my glasses up. I'm different. I really care. <laughs> I'll take fifteen percent of your hard earned money. So find us on social media. We're there. <laughs> uh, the best way to get a hold of us, though, is through our email address, which is show at gmail.com. We read a handful of emails a week, not because we like to hear people praise us, but because... This, oh, this is, but that sounds I good. I mean, I do like that. It sounds... Oh, gosh. Um, it makes me feel warm. I'm not getting it home from my wife, so I need our listeners to do it for me. Ooh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Burn. I'm just kidding. My wife likes me a little bit. So uh, the way I see the emails, and I'm sure you agree, is it just gives a voice to our fans. It gives yeah, a voice yeah. to the Metallica community to read their story and read their thing. <clears throat> Absolutely. And we like to highlight that on the show. Uh, so with having said all of that, let's get into some emails. 
You want to start us off? Would love to, Clint. Our first email is from Raymond DeLisi Jr., Esquire the Fourth. <laughs> he says, Good evening. Uh, while visiting my brother in Texas over Christmas, he told me about your podcast. While we were out today, he put on uh, that week's show. Um, and it was your year in review. That show gave me a taste of all the things you had covered as well as what I needed to catch up on. Today I drove 14 hours back to Ohio and listened to your show the entire way. Holy shit. That's what he typed. Emphasis uh, is Ethan's there. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to read it. Oh, he did put an exclamation point. Holy shit. It's it's holy shit. (laughs) 10 episodes that had me so engrossed that time flew by. Uh, I had many conversations with the radio regarding the top 10s and deep, deep tracks. Love the reorder of master. So many other things were fantastic. Thank you both for accompanying my accompanying me home. I look forward to many more hours with you guys. Ray DeLisi, junior, senior, junior, Columbus, Ohio. Very cool. That's awesome, man. I, I got to agree with old Ray Ray here. Um, whenever I take long road trips, podcasts only. Podcasts are great for I'm, that. Yeah, I might like like I had to drive to Texas about a year ago. It's it about it was about fourteen hours, um, and I I came out of the gate on i-40 with the black album just to wake me up and then i literally listened to podcasts the whole way there and it, just, it flew right i by. do it at the gym too do you even lift <laughs> do you bro? lift bro bro i definitely don't lift at the gym i just <clears throat> i just run because i don't care about being strong i just want to be thin i've been thinking about going to the gym i wonder if we should go together just hold hands it across ellipticals it, it'd make for amazing <laughs> social media content you, you and i in in like workout shorts and our battle yeah. vests it's like damn i heard they were pretty good at that podcast thing i didn't know they were taking it to the next level <laughs> But I think, yeah, I think, and I think a great gym outfit would be battle vest with workout shorts. Right, right. With, with like a, um, a bullet belt and a bullet wrist, yeah. wrist cuff thing. Yeah. Le- leather workout shorts if possible. Oh, well, there's no life till leather. There's no workout till leather. Okay. Um, thanks, Ray. We really appreciate that, dude. Th- uh, glad you're on the ride. Yeah, man. You've got a lot of catching up to do. We'll see you on And the I love Columbus, Ohio, by the way. Great city. I love Columbus, Ohio, too. Great. There's a great German spot there. Germantown? No, a great German <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> What is it called? Oh, what is it called? Fuck. We used to go there every time we played. I can't remember what it's called. I'll bet you old Ray Ray will ride in. It's I, just called the German place. One of my favorite spots there is a place called Dirty Frank's. It's a hot dog place. They do like veggie dogs. and. Are you familiar with the Pearl Jam song, Dirty Frank? About the serial killer bus driver? Ooh. This place is a little different. It was a B-side on the Even Flow single, I believe. Even Flow. Dirty Frank Dama, he's a gourmet cook, yeah. Got a recipe for saying I don't remember that yet. one. I know that the Brads will be pissed at me. It sounds like a Red Out Chili Pepper song. It's exactly like that. Speaking of Germany, though, our next email is from Schramm. Oh, yeah. Hey, Clinton, Ethan, this is Dirk writing from Germany. I've been on the Metal Up Your Podcast train for about two months now. I searched at random, found you, and started listening. What can I say? I was so flashed. That's an interesting phrase. I was so flashed hearing you talking about the first three Metallica records. That when my alarm clock rang in the morning, I noticed I hadn't slept one single second that night because I was still listening to your show. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm writing, uh, I'm writing in to congratulate you on your fantastic show. You guys have helped me to have a different look at this band again, to open my, my mind beyond the Black Album era. And after hearing Death Magnetic and Hardwired, I now can say, yes, they still rule. Thanks to you for that, Clinton Ethan. Now I'm listening to episode 40, hoping to get up to date soon. You do very good work, perfect mixture of facts, serious talking, and funny elements. Your invented characters should be nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> the best of all time was, I guess when I was doing the vegan Ethan character where I said, looks like cheese, tastes like a football. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for getting me on the train again. Rock on, Dirk. What Dude, a nice email. Very cool. Hey, speaking of places we love, I love Germany. 
Been there a lot. We, we know you're a world traveler. Um, I'm a bit of a jet setter. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> Thanks, Dirk. Uh, next one. Oh, it's from Adam Sjoberg. Hello, Adam. Hey, guys. Just uh, just sitting here listening to our favorite band and regretting not living in America. Well, I'm sorry for you. Yeah, you should live here. Now's not a great time to live here. Yeah, actually. I don't know if I'd move here right <laughs> in now. In fact, you know what a lot of us want to do is move to goddamn Sweden where Adam's I would love from. to move to Sweden. Sweden! Your party looked like a blast. Would have been so cool to have been there. Uh, sending a one-year congratulations from Sweden. Sweet, I love fucking, Sweden. <laughs> fucking awesome podcast. Every Monday gets easier with you guys in my ears. As always, greetings from Sweden. <laughs> How many times? Metal up your ass. He capitalized it twice. Because well, he knew we were going to shout it. He did. He, he. We're predictable now. He knows what we do. Are you sure? I can <laughs> I can put this on anytime I want. Someone listening to the first time is like, I hate these guys. Dollar <laughs> manager talk. Uh, th- always good to hear from Adam. Thanks, Adam. And by the way, like I would love to live in Sweden. I would love to. Sweden's live a beautiful country. Anywhere up there. I'm, oh, you've been. I'm guessing. Uh, you've been. I take it. Uh, f- I mean, a few times. Just 10, 10 to fifteen to twenty five times. Our next email is from Mike Fell. He says, "Guys, I've been a long time Metallica fan." But I got off the ride after St. Anger and dove in only a bit with Death Magnetic. Last August, though, I got a text from a lifelong friend who introduced me to Metallica. He'd never seen the boys live. They were doing a one-off stadium show in Minneapolis, and he had free tickets in a suite. I had seen them seven times before that, but not since 2010 and couldn't pass up the chance, so I flew to Minneapolis for the show. The week leading up to the show, they dropped the Hardwired single, and I was floored by it. The Minneapolis show had a perfect set list for a first-timer and a veteran, they played Leopard Messiah, King Nothing, and Whiskey, and a fantastic debut of Hardwired. It was an amazing show, trying out what would be the Worldwired stage. Very cool. After the show, I pre-ordered Hardwired, dove in big time on all the songs as they were released, and started digging out Puppets and Lightning again. As the Worldwired tour kicked off, I couldn't be more excited and was starting to dig into other albums again, falling in love all over with Load. I was lucky enough for Snake Pit Passes in Houston and the day after the show, I'm all over the Metallica Reddit, and Clint posts about the load episode of some Metallica podcast I'd never heard of. I was hooked. I've almost caught up on the back catalog, and I've dove back into so much Metallica history, even watching some kind of monster again. It's been a great last 18 months for me as a Metallica fan, and you two are a big reason why. Keep up the good work, and if your travels bring you through Houston, Texas, New Jersey, there are some local Texas beers waiting for you, Mike. Ooh, some Lone Star beer, maybe? Uh... <clears throat> Is Lone, yeah, Lone Star, oh, or uh, some Shiner? Shiner? Shiner Bach? Yeah. Man, Mike, what a great email. Thank you so much. Thanks, dude. Um, and what a cool show to see. I remember when that Minneapolis show happened. Oh, it was yeah. like exciting. It was like the first show of them like starting this album cycle right. officially. Right. Debut Hardwired. Man, you saw history, brother. <laughs> and next time we are in Texas, New Jersey, we'll definitely look you up for, for those sure. Texas beers. For sure. Our last email is from our friend Susan Bond. Hey, what's up? This is Melody, by the way. Yep, Melody, Melody, Melody and Jay. I just wanted to congratulate you both on a great first year of your podcast. I look forward to listening to the show every week. Keep up the great work and don't let the fuckers get you down. Oh, Keep we won't. on keeping oh, on. Oh, we won't. I, I can't. I, I I can't really speak for Clint, but based upon his Twitter in, interaction last night, <laughs> he seems to be okay after uh, some some managers getting him down. So they really managed me. Yeah. They managed. They to really be- managed the situation quite well. <laughs> hey, man! It's uh, and Melody uh, in Jay Susan. She's a patron, so it's always good to hear from her. Always good to hear from the patrons. Yeah, we had a couple at the party the other night, and um, we talk about it a lot. But I mean, you know, a lot of these things that we've developed over the last few months cannot couldn't have been made possible without the support of our patrons. So you know, if- we haven't even talked about that on this episode. For those of you who are wondering, maybe what that is, it's it's called Patreon. P a t r e o n dot com. 
if you go to uh, that website slash middle up your podcast, it's this area where if you like the show a lot, like Mike does, several, excuse me, the Coors Light's coming back up in the form of air. <laughs> several of these people are saying, hey, I'm new to the show. I binge all the episodes. I really love it. For people like that, if you really want to get interested in giving back to the show, it's a way for you to financially support us. There's all sorts of associated costs. We like to do this contest where we give back to the fans every month. We wouldn't be able to do that without the patrons. So we've got about 75, 80 patrons. It's a cool little community. Yeah. We give them exclusive content. Um, we've got an EP of Metallica covers coming out very soon. Very, very soon. And we're yeah. going to do a whole episode on that EP. We're going to sort of tease some of the songs, play little clips of them. But uh, Ethan did Freydens of Sanity, Sanitarium, and... Unforgiven 3. The Unforgiven 3. I did Low Man's Lyric, Fixer, Outlaw Torn, and The Unnamed Feeling. And what we did is we sort of restructured them, put kind of different spins on them. We've gotten a lot of great feedback about it. It's going to be a yeah. fucking bitchin' EP. The yeah. only way to get the EP is to become a patron. Yeah, don't expect the songs just to be like straight covers, like metal and stuff. They don't we, sound anything like the originals. No, we no, not even close. We wanted to reimagine them because Clint and I are both, you know, touring musicians and writers and have recorded a lot. You know, and we we want to put a bit of you know that music that we love into these songs. You know, of all all sorts of our influences and reimagine these Metallica songs. You know, how would we play these live if we were just sitting there with an acoustic guitar or something? So, yeah, hopefully uh, you guys can get on this uh, Patreon train and uh, get involved in that because uh, we're proud of it and we can't wait for you guys to hear it in a very short amount of time. And there's all sorts of other special shit we do just for the patrons. So go check it out. Consider donating in that way. It makes this whole journey that we're on better for everyone. And with that, let's conclude the email. Let's conclude it. Okay. So the Kill 'Em All Deluxe box set. Have you heard of it? <laughs> Have you heard of oh, Kill 'Em All? It's all the rage. Everyone's talking about it. Gosh, I mean, I was all over these Yahoo chat rooms earlier, and everyone, could, no one could stop talking about it. It was oh, really? amazing. Oh yeah, Yahoo. Yeah, it was just the first chat room website I could think of. <laughs> what was the first chat room you ever went into? It like, was like a probably like remember this? It was like AOL generic chat rooms. It'd be like AOL chat room nine seven five three one. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah, I started with Yahoo or something, and it was like. You could go into like your city and then it'd be like sub sub chat rooms of, you know, I, I remember the time I was going through a big Rage Against the Machine phase. Evil Empire had just come out. Oh, this yeah. is like whatever that year was. That was in seventh grade. Got 97, a I think. 96. Yeah. And I would go into these. Ch- <laughs> I was just so hungry f- to connect with other music fans. I would go into a chat room and the first thing I'd be like, anyone here like Zach De La Rocha? <laughs> in a Rage Against the Machine chat room. No, not even a Regions Machine oh, chat just room. Anyone. Just AOL chat room nine seven five three one to be like, anyone know Zach De La Rocha? And they're like, it's Roca, by the way. Like I wouldn't even say Rage Against the Machine. Or Tom Morello. Yeah. The two maybe more popular, more recognizable names associated with that band. Is it Roca? Zach De La Rocha, yeah. Jesus. I'm just saying. Hey, I'm just saying. I just know. I'm a redneck, Dave. Let me let me say it wrong. I'm from where they're from. So Zach De La Goga. <laughs> Zach. Zach. D. Lay Rocha. Those like people who call Tom York Thom. <laughs> Thom York. Thom? I mean, it is, his parents put a fucking H in it. When it is spelled like, dubiously. I've got a friend named Tom who lives up in Indiana, and it's T-H-O-M, and when we used to tour together, it would always be, hey, Thom. Take the fucking H out. Do you need it? Hey, look, my name is Ethan. <laughs> if, Ethan. If, if, if it was pronounced Eaton, but there's an H in there, I'd lose the H. The English language is sort of confusing. It's it's sort of ridiculous. It is, but well, we got to learn Swedish if we're going to move there. Sweden. <laughs> so let's. So here's what we've planned on doing. We've um, so a patron of the show, Kevin Van Dam, who was at our party. 
very sweet, intelligent, cool dude. I had some time to talk with him. I did get a little loose at the party. I had a lot to drink. Quiet. <laughs> I, don't rem- I don't remember talking to some of these people, but I do remember hanging out with Kevin for a bit. And um, real cool dude. He let us borrow all three box sets so that we could do yeah, these episodes. I, um, so Clint had to uh, take off a little earlier than I did because he had to get up early to take his daughter to school and stuff. Which that was rough, by the way. I'll bet, I'll bet it was. was rough. Daddy, you smell weird. <laughs> daddy, wh- is Daddy dead? <laughs> <laughs> Why is Daddy wheezing? Why are there bubbles coming out of well, his Well, I have a three-year-old, and like for those of you out there that have kids that young, this is how they wake you up. They literally just jump on your face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, they're not like, Daddy, Daddy, wake up. Daddy. She's jumping and screaming and jumping on my face. Yeah. <laughs> That explains a lot. Uber, and that's how tired you are when, like, <laughs> yeah. that's how tired and hungover you are when you don't care. Even, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's on like the 18th <laughs> bounce, care. and I'm just trying to let it ride. It's like in uh, What About Bob when Richard Dreyfus is trying to wake him up. Wake up, Bob. Bob, Bob, Bob. <laughs> dude, that's a great scene. That's we should put scene. that in. We should put that. Cl- okay. <laughs> Six o'clock, Bob. Time to wake up. Come on, let's go. Come on, Bob. Get up. Come on, Bob. Bob, rise and shine. Come on. Bob. Come on, Bob, get up. Bob. 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 Get up. Come on. Come on, it's six o'clock. Rise and shine. Rise and shine. And to go get the car right now. Come on, Bob. Come on. Bob. 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 Cop. Bob. Bob, oh! <laughs> <laughs> my, one of my favorite lines when he when they he first gets to the house and he's going to bed, he's like, uh, she's like Faye, the mom, mm-hmm. who she, by the way she's such a great movie mom. Great, totally. She goes, uh, which bed would you like? He goes. Uh, well, I prefer, I prefer to face northwest or whatever <laughs> direction it is. <laughs> I love when they're having dinner and he's like, he's like, uh, uh, Leo, would you pass a little whatever? And he's like, you can call me Dr. Marvin. He's like, but in your office, you told me to call you Leo. He's like, that's right, Bob. In my but, office, but in my home. In my office, you call me Leo. In my home, you'll call me Dr. Marvin. <laughs> mm. Oh, Faye, this is scrumptious. Is this hand shuck? <laughs> Dude, what's this do? What about Bob quotes? I know. Fuck, fuck, kill them Baby all. Baby steps. <laughs> a vacation from my problems. <laughs> this is an appointment. I'm dropping by. <laughs> all right. I sail. <laughs> I sail. Out on the water. I just let the boat do all the work. That's kind of my trick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Ziggy. Oh, Ziggy. Yeah. Okay, um, so here's what we're going to do. For those of you who have the box set, you know how badass this is. It's kind of a must-own for a diehard. It's, it is, which is why we don't own it. <laughs> we don't own it. Well, it's also you know, it's also not easy on the wallet. It's not easy on the wallet, especially all three of them. So what we're aiming to do here is give you like a really strong taste of what it all comes with. Ethan and I have spent a lot of time with it in the last couple of days, and we're going to just burn down everything that comes in this box set. So Yeah, there's a lot of bitching stuff. Well, there's a couple of a couple of the live shows while they may be lacking in fidelity and quality. By the way, do you want to hold the box set while we go over this? Oh, I got, I, I, oh I'd love to hold I've it. Got, oh, I'm holding it now. Yeah, that's pretty heavy. It's re- oh yeah. When Kevin handed these at the show the other night, at did the a show, giant did a giant make these? I think a giant made them. This looks like the box set forged in the den of a giant. <laughs> um, I had uh, you know a suitcase full of stuff that I, I brought for the little museum. And a little table and all this other stuff in my backpack. And then Kevin gives me these three box sets. And all three of them in your hands are so fucking heavy. And I'm by myself going home to get an Uber home. I'm like, uh, I, and I felt so nervous with these things. 
I was like, if I get outside and I trip and this falls on the Gallatin Road and just gets run over, I owe him $180. Right. So I, I got remember, one time when I was like 17 or 18, I was in this cover band in Birmingham and we had this like great college night and we all made, this is the first time I've ever gotten paid $500 for a show. Ooh. They just gave everyone a band 500 bucks cash. And I remember like tucking it in my shoe because this is downtown Birmingham. Downtown Birmingham is no joke. And I remember thinking like, it was as if I was holding a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, you were like walking like almost with a limp to hide your foot and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like I was just so scared of somehow losing it. Not so, even getting mugged. Like just someone's going to mug you and be like, shoes off now. Or it's just going to like shoot out of my hand into a gutter, like into a <laughs> sewer. Um, so when you first open this thing, it's, it's, it's actually like, I mean, for the money, you get a lot of value. I'll oh, say yeah, that. It's absolutely. packaged really well. It's this really cool matte. Uh, finish. Uh, it's, it's very classy. I would, I would use the word classy. It, yeah, I'd say classy. The first thing you see is the book. So let's talk about this book. It's yeah, a seventy-two-page book. booklet. Yeah, this one. Um, I went through the Red Lightning one too, which we'll get to another episode on that. Don't don't, don't spoil don't Lightning. Spoil it. I haven't heard that record before. And as we all know, Lightning was there. Uh, was the record after the Black Album? So. Yeah. We got a few years before we it's get to that. It's the one with dirty window on. Just kidding. Don't send us emails. But there's cool stuff, and a, a lot of what's written in here is all from people that worked with Metallica, worked for Metallica, uh, big fans, things like that. Um, I kind of bookmark a couple pages just to read a few little excerpts, if you will, from the book. And it's very similar. We, if you heard our Back to the Front episode uh, with our friend Tom Quee of Alpha Metallica, by the way, go check him out. If you've heard of him, it's similar to that. There's really cool pictures, like sort of never before seen photos, at least photos oh, I've never seen. Th- there's a ton of stuff in here I've never seen before. Right. There's, I mean, there's, there's lyric sheets in here. There's letters that Lars wrote to people, um, all sorts of cool stuff. So yeah, briefly walk us through some of the highlights of the book. <clears throat> okay. Uh, there's no- uh, Okay. <laughs> I'm gl- glad you asked. Okay, I, I'm, I'm glad you asked because I'm holding the book right now. Um, I can't tell you what page to turn to, but it's the very beginning. And the, one of the first things you have in here is uh, a little something from John Zazula, aka Johnny Z, Megaforce Records. That's one of the first two paragraphs because it's it's a really cool thing. Um, it says the story has been told a hundred times, but I thought at this time for such a momentous occasion, I put a little twist in it. I'd like to talk about what it was like. To stand there during the beginning of it all, to stand right in the middle of it all, Mr. Lars Ulrich, Dave Mustaine, James Hetfield, and always my favorite, the red-haired one who's never any bell-bottom jeans, Mr. Cliff Burton. Nice. Then he goes on to say, they were just kids and we were just working class dreamers. I had a crazy wife, Marsha, who saw through all my madness and would guide me to the moon and back if I uh, were to ever get derailed or off course. We were totally untrained in the music business, neither managers, Clint, mm-hmm. nor record moguls we were. Um yeah, we realized once the U-Haul pulled up on our lawn that we had taken on, um, uh, we knew we'd better learn fast, and uh, we think we did darn well for most of it. So it's just like that first day that Metallica pulled in at, up to his house, and it's just like... And of course, we all know in hindsight what they went through to get there. I mean, they basically drove across the country in that Winnebago or whatever, or U-Haul, yeah. and by the time they got there, they knew they wanted to fire Dave. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. It was a treacherous journey. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. I mean, there's like original tracks, track sheets from like the recording sessions of Kill 'Em All. Cool. Um, let me find the next little. Uh, oh, this is great. This is great. Let me find the exact paragraph. See, I, I wanted to put in little sticky things of which paragraph to read, but this isn't my book. Well, Kevin will hunt you down. And, it's and a thing. I didn't want to like you. stick something in here, and all of a sudden I pull it off and it rips the page. So let me let me remember which. Uh, uh, it's it's really pretty. Um, okay, it's just the fir- it's just the first one. This is great. Um, and this is by Ray Burton. He says, Cliff was not a person who talked a great deal. Cliff says, we're going to make a record. He wasn't showing any kind of excitement or emotion for the fact that it would be Metallica's first recording. The upcoming recording was important to Cliff, but he seemed to look at it as, we got our work cut out for us. 
Um, I know it's something we haven't done before, but I think we can do it. I also remember around that time that Kill 'Em All was being produced, Cliff came to Jan and me and asked, Mom and Dad, if you if you two can support me for the next five years, and if in that time Metallica hasn't made enough money for us to be out on our own, I will quit and become a studio musician. Jan and my r- reply in unison was, of course we will, Cliff. Nice. So it's just a cool a cool little look into where they all were at that time and, and where Cliff was with his parents. I like that his backup plan was one of the other hardest things in the world to do. A studio musician. To become a fucking studio, a professional studio musician. Know, totally. Although he had the chops for it. I mean. Oh, he definitely did. Oh, yeah. Um, it's very cool. And there's a lot of great, there's a lot of cool photos you see like Scott Ian and some of them and stuff because obviously they're friends with those dudes back in the day. Well, because Anthrax was the other <clears throat> band that John Zazula managed. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. Let me find this other paragraph. Bob? 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 Wake up, Bob! Um, oh, yeah, this is, this is kind of about um, right before they went to Electra and about, it has to do with Damon Stain a little bit. But it says, and, and this is, uh, by the way, this is from uh, Metal Maria. Um, Adrenaline PR is what she was working for. Um, an early memory of when Damon Stain was fired was that the pressure was then on James to step up and be the front man. Because as we know, like a lot of that early footage, like, it's like Dave, Dave is talking it. most right. of the time. He's like the MC. Right. He's like the Flavor Flav. Um, Which good guy. We were all holding that. our breath to see if James could be the front man and step up. And needless to say, he did. He actually raised the bar in doing so. Yeah. But that was a cool you quote. Can see, you can hear it in these, we're going to get to these live shows, and um, <clears throat> especially the... The last thing that's in here is a DVD of a show of them playing a little club called the Metro, which I played a million times. It's yeah, in so Chicago, I think it's closed now, or it's about uh, it's closing soon. Or did, I, I, thankfully, I haven't had to play it in a long time. It may have already closed. It is a small club in there. Loading uh, sucks there upstairs. It's the whole thing's no, kind of dicey, elevator. but kind of a classic swarmy rock club. But you can see, you can see and hear in James, he's definitely doing it, becoming a front man, but he's still got some. He's still learning how to do it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. But shit, these were they were fucking kids. They were like 20, oh, yeah. 21 oh, yeah. years old, 20 years old. Um, this next little quote is from Brian Liu, who's the co-author of Murder in the Front Row, Shots from the Bay Area, Thrash Metal Epicenter. Mm. And this was cool. Um, this is this dude's like one of the oldest. He, he was there at the very beginning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's kind of famous for that. Yeah. He says uh, about Kill Em All, he says, for, this, uh, for me, this album is a time machine back to a simpler era when all that mattered was heavy fucking metal. It was about metal and wasn't opposed like bullshit hair metal. It was about metal uh, that was heavy and confrontational. It was about metal that inspired a sense of brotherhood and community. Kill Mom reminds me of how important the early underground metal scene was to me when I was searching for an identity, uh, identity and validation in my young life. And the last thing you wrote is bass solo take one. Nice. Yeah. So that's from Brian Liu. That's cool. Yeah. He's got a couple more little little uh, bookmarkers here. I wanted to. I mean, we obviously can't really. I mean, I'm looking at Ethan. So Ethan and I had to basically split this box set up in terms of who was going to cover what. And I haven't really been able to see the book, so I'm kind of seeing Ethan thumb through it now. And yeah, he, he, I mean, he's having to pass over a ton of shit. Every page has got oh, pictures and the yeah. huge, huge paragraphs of people who were there at the time. It's it's really cool. Oh yeah, this this is. I mean, there's so much so much cool stuff in here. Um, it's like really cool. It's like uh, awesome. It's, it's like, like really pictures cool. and stuff. And I'm like really smart. So I don't I, I I don't mind the words. I'm like super stable and smart, genius level. <laughs> I'm like a stable genius. <laughs> Sorry, current event news. Current events. Okay, so here's a really cool, uh, really cool uh, story. I'm just gonna read one paragraph of it from uh, David Mars, who was a roadie from '81 to '84. Wow. I wonder um, what that dude's doing now. I'm not positive, but uh, he's writing paragraphs in Metallica books. That's for sure. <laughs> that's one thing he did. It's one thing that he's done. Um, 
This is this has to do with them getting their gear stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, he says in January 1984, Metallica was scheduled to play a show at the Channel Club in Boston. The evening before the show, myself, Mark Whitaker, and John Marshall loaded up all the equipment into the U-Haul truck and drove to New Jersey, New Jersey, uh, to Boston. We arrived very early in the morning, around 6:30 a.m. Uh, when we got in the hotel, we had a very hard time finding a parking spot. Excuse me, parking spot. After circ- circling around for for a while, we found a spot about a block from the hotel. I remember it being. Really cold, no more than about 10 degrees. Mark said, since it's so cold, we need to bring all the guitars in with us. We opened up the back of the U-Haul, took out seven guitars, locked the truck, and brought them inside of the hotel with us. We were lucky, as the hotel clerk allowed us to check in early, and we were all tired from the drive, uh, so we slept for a few hours. He goes on to talk about, obviously, when they woke up, the U-Haul was gone, they called the police, blah, 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 but they were all stoked. That, like, like It was like, oh, shit, all of our gear's gone. Like At least we grabbed the guitars. Right, you know? right. And that's, you know, that's obviously now become like a, you know, a pretty famous Metallica story of their gear getting stolen, Anthrax loaning them gear Did you ever do sl- slummy touring up in New England? You say slummy? Yeah, did you ever slum it up there? Oh, yeah. I've slept in, like, <clears throat> in the van in, like, freezing degree weather I, with no heat two, and stuff. Two memories come to mind back in the van days. We're in buses now, and most venues kind of allocate a place for a bus to hang out, but... One comes to mind in New York, our tour manager, the venue didn't have a place for the van to go. Yeah. And they kind of recommended just trying to find a place blocks and blocks away, and we were kind of unwilling to do that. Our tour manager had to drive around the block during the entire show. Wow. Just you know, didn't for want, 90 minutes. Just didn't want to stop. We just, we just were unwilling to leave the van far away from the venue. Yeah, yeah. Another that comes to, uh, come to mind in Boston where... We didn't have a tour manager, just the band, just four dudes yeah. on an eight-week rock tour. <laughs> and at, we were all like second on a bill of a show. And to, in order to get paid, we had to wait to the very end of the show. Ugh. And where our van was parked, we had a great spot kind of right in front of the club, but someone had to be in the van the whole time. Yeah. So for, the, that, next, yeah. for the next three hours, we each took like 45-minute shifts just sitting in the fucking van. Yeah. That sucks. Uh, I was on tour with the band one time, filling on drums, and uh, the guitar player had a, a Sharpay dog. You, you know, you know those, right? They're mean, dude. Sharpays can be mean. I, I'm not trying. Is to it really it. pronounced that way? A Sharpay? Yeah, Sharpay. It's not a Sharpie. That's a, that's the thing. That's the thing we sign autographs with. <laughs> I sign Kirk Hammett's name every time. Exactly. Yeah. I was, okay. I so was right. James Ulrich. So there was a Sharpay. Oh, anyway. So uh, we didn't have a trailer because there's only three of us on tour. So we had all the gear in the back of the van. Yep. And during the show, we still had extra gear in there and stuff. We would just thank you for the beer, Clint. Um, yep. During the show, the dog would stay in the van. Anybody even came near that window, that dog would go fucking crazy. So you toured the whole. You toured with this dog. Oh yeah. Good God! It was awesome. Really? Yeah, you know, I, you know me. I've got three dogs. I would take a dog. Oh, that's on, true. I, if if I ever went out on a solo tour by myself, I'd probably take one of my dogs. Wow. Maybe actually, you know, I wouldn't take one of them now because they're all they're all getting older. So just if something happened health wise, this, be this tough, one but. girl I toured with, we were on a bus and she would bring her dog, and the dog it was like a little kind of like Chihuahua type dog. Yeah, and the dog would jump into the middle bunks. Awesome. Like you just wake up and a dog would jump on your like legs or your <laughs> penis or your belly. Yeah. That's it wasn't my favorite thing. <laughs> I mean, uh, chihuahuas are chihuahuas. But it wasn't my favorite thing. Now, if you and I were on tour together on tour bus, and I had my dog Rocco, the the, yeah. the Malamute, he's fucking awesome. Besides, right. besides getting hair everywhere, like he would. If we were watching like fucking uh, Headbangers Ball late one night, yeah, because it's nineteen ninety four, the Ricky Rackman. <laughs> He would jump up right next to you and just like cuddle up and like hang. Well, if we were on a bus together, it'd be different because we're tight and. That's true. You know, it would the my the grace would extend. So you're saying all my dogs could come? 
well, I'm saying all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> Wait, you mean you're going to kill my dogs? No, no, no. You're no, going to no, kill no, them all? No, 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 no. no. All right. Um, all right. Um, this is, I'll, I'll make this the last one here. We can, okay, we can move cool. on. Um, I thought this was Are really, you sensing me getting, getting restless? Is that what's you're, happening? You're just shuffling those papers so fast. Hurry. Uh, this is from uh, KJ, I think it's pronounced uh, uh, Doughton. He's the author of uh, Metallica Unbound. This is pretty cool. He says, over the years, the band has shown tr- tremendous generosity. When I was offered a publishing deal to write what would eventually be, uh, become the biography of Metallica Unbound, the book's publisher refused to make it an official bio. This would mean paying royalties to the band. Despite this rejection, the group flew me to their homes for interviews. Many of the photos featured within were provided by the band free of charge. Years mm. later, Metallica flew me to Cleveland to attend their Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, All Expenses Paid. Beautiful and surreal. Wow. That's pretty cool. I Very mean, this cool. dude wrote, just wrote a book about them. Right. I mean, that's... I mean, is that all I have to do to fly to their homes is just write a fucking book? I mean, we've we've podcasted enough to make a book. <laughs> called, un, called Unload? Unload with Ethan and Clint. Just so we can get flown to Kirk's house and see all of his hominid skulls. Uh, yeah, all his skulls and stuff. Um, so yeah, like like Clint said earlier, there's a lot of stuff I skimmed over in this book. There's some... If you don't have it, there's some some really cool stuff in here. I mean... There's this random letters uh, from Lars to God. Who's this to? Uh, like you know, it starts off like, "Yo, this is the drummer Lars of Metallica," uh, and here are a few uh, answers to your questions. Oh, this is answering fan mail. I think it's pretty cool. Like, yeah, there's just so much stuff. I mean, I wish you guys could could see our podcast right now. We could show it to you. I wish you guys could see Ethan's butt right now. He oh, man, show it to you. I'm totally naked right now. So the so moving on to sort of the uh, the other the audio goodies. Yeah. The first thing that, that you unbox it, it looks just like a normal Kill 'Em All vinyl, but it's the remaster. Yep. For those of you who maybe get confused about remixes and remasters, um, a remaster is unlikely to sound noticeably very different. Um, they're not changing any. Ta- there's no different takes, and the actual information, the actual guitar solo for Four Horsemen, um, doesn't sound any different. Yeah, I mean, you, I think a master and engineer, if they wanted to, or or at the direction of an artist, maybe you can manipulate the overall sound of right. everything together right. as far right. as like EQing and stuff like that. It, ge- it generally just probably sounds louder and cleaner. Yeah, louder, cleaner, bigger sounding. And you know, Greg Fiddleman was kind of in charge of the remasters of all these. Good. Same with Lightning. Good. Fiddleman. I mean, he, he can kind of do no wrong in my eyes. I, I'm thinking their eyes too. I mean, Fiddleman is. He's their dude. Oh, he's their dude. He's like, that dude is on staff. I mean, that guy's doing everything. So, what Ethan and I are going to do, we've had a lot of requests for this from fans. It was actually about a year ago this week that we dropped our first Kill 'em All episode. Yeah, January 1st of last year. Yeah. So, what we're going to do after we kind of burn down all the extra goodies is we're going to do actually do another track by track of kill them all we're going to insert the clips and we're going to just give sort of our updated thoughts on the tunes i definitely know that i'm real fresh in all this material because i've listened to all this in the last few days yeah totally i've heard phantom lord about 45 fucking times <laughs> I, even before we got this from kevin van dam i've been burning down kill them all I've in the been car the kill them all phase two dude. yeah you know what i think it is for me anyway is like we've been such hardwired train like oh, yeah. just the, the, you know, it's hard to describe sometimes what's so great sounding about Hardwired. Just the saturation in the guitars, yeah. the the real um, the TLC and the vocals, yeah, all the double stacking, the delay, yeah, how monstrous and thick it sounds. I really wanted to make an actual TLC joke when you said that. Like my wife and I talked. Did about Did they cover TLC Scrubs today. on this record? <laughs> well, they covered Waterfalls. That's right. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> but I think what I, I've been craving, maybe this has been you too. I've just been craving the raw, the sort of raw shit. Yeah, yeah, the real shit. You know, even at the party of the night, like every time a Kill 'Em All song would come on on the playlist I made. I got more stoked about that. I did too. Because the it, atmosphere it of the bar. Through. It cut through that atmosphere. Yeah, it cut through. And, and I, I felt that, that those songs were fitting to the, to how the Cobra, the bar we did it at, it's it's a bit of a kind of a rock and roll bar. Well, like a song like Dream No More, for example, is a great like put on some good headphones, put the vinyl on yeah. and enjoy enjoy how great it sounds. Yeah. You know what song didn't cut through the other night very well was the intro to No Leaf Clover because <laughs> it's so quiet. I believe that. Did we have that on the list? It was on there, yeah. It just sounded like, because there were so many people in the room talking, it sounded like it was just silence for about 30 seconds. So the second thing that you'll see when you um, when you open up this box is your first live show, and it's the second and remaining vinyl. Yeah. And it's a show uh, from February 9th, 1984. It's right before they... Uh, Right before they went into Sweet Silence to record Ride the Lightning. Yeah. Um, it's live at the Espace Ballard in Paris, France. It's a double vinyl. Um, it's very cool. We're going to sort of... There's some cool things that happen in the show that I kind of yeah. wanted to highlight. So here's just a few a few tidbits about this show. It's from the Seven Days of Hell tour that they did with Venom. Which are, I feel like these seven shows are kind of famous. It's, yeah. It's them, it's them getting ready to go into the studio to make what I consider their first record where you start to really see where this band's gonna go yes exactly yeah um the crowd sounds huge and very excited to see metallica um and at this point in this early on they were walking on to ecstasy of gold so bitchin so i'll just kind of talk through the set list and if there's anything notable um I, i mentioned earlier the sound quality of all these shows isn't great but hearing them hearing them at this stage this on fire and yes this kind of rough mm -hmm. is really special well i mean there, there, there's a lot of songs that are fairly sloppy sure they could have been hammered or they just had an off night or something but <clears throat> i really think that it, it it still captures what it was like back then to see this band it, it, it may be sloppy joe or maybe like frenetic or whatever but you can you can hear what's special about it oh yeah for sure um so xc of gold uh, and a lot of these set lists were similar this set list in particular has got a few cool things because uh this was sort of the other shows are actually before the show <laughs> so they start with the, the the um most recent show hit the lights the four horsemen james has some pretty funny banner as i was saying before you can hear him sort of stretching into being a front man yeah is france ready for some fucking metal he shouts that at one point <laughs> they play uh jump in the fire james is talking about uh i want to see you guys break these barricades down and shit it's like <laughs> trying to inside a riot dude. yeah um they play Phantom Lord, where James yells, we're a bunch of alcoholics from California. <laughs> it's like how far James has come, you know? Yeah. I mean, God, that was I'm a sober dude from Downey. <laughs> I'm a sober dude who lives in Aspen. I live in Vail. I'm a sober beekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> this, song's called, this song's called Phantom it's Lord. It's France Radio some fucking metal. I'm a sober beekeeper from Vail. <laughs> 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 the sober beekeepers from Vale. That's a fucking thrash band. Name. Oh yeah, that's a that's a that's our new side project. Another thing we wanted to do is for each of these shows, we wanted to actually insert the full song for those of you who can't afford the box that or haven't heard it. So the first thing we're going to insert is actually from the show this uh, February 9th, ninety four, and this is them doing No Remorse.
very cool. <laughs> that sounded great. Wow, what a great version of that song. Now, the next cool thing is they do Ride the Lightning. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously, uh, they probably most, you know, recently finished it around this time, and they're about to go record that record. Well, and you can really hear a it's it's them trying to figure it out still. But yeah. he for the last verse, he actually sings the first verse again. Yeah, so he hadn't written the whole thing yet, or he just he was new enough to where he hadn't. You know, I mean, obviously this is about a million years before teleprompters. Yeah, maybe so. he forgot. Maybe he forgot the third verse he wrote like two days before and was like, "Shit, uh, I'll sing the first one again." Dude, if you see video of them, even at the ninety nine Woodstock. They don't have teleprompters. He just got taped down lots of lyric sheets. Yeah. Like well, maybe it, eight or nine of them taped all around. And what him. I've heard, and uh, I've got a friend I think that's going out with him uh, this year to do teleprompter for James, because a lot of people are like, oh, he needs lyrics on a fucking TV. Uh, that's yes, so he stupid. Does. Yes, he does. But here's the thing. First of all, they got a lot of fucking songs, a lot of fucking lyrics. But what I heard was, I, I, I will be able to confirm and deny this. In don't tell us out of school. In a few months. Correct. No, um, is, I don't mean we is don't. that he only James only has the first line of each section? Oh, I told you that. Because was that I, you? Because I've seen his teleprompter in videos. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, um, for one, for example, it'll just say darkness. Yeah. All that I see has a heart. I cannot live. Yeah. It just they have prompts. <clears throat> and one says, "Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gimme, 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 gimme." <laughs> But here's the thing, and we'll get off the teleprompter thing. Um, you know, I worked for Kings all last year or last couple of years. Um, there was a teleprompter out there for Caleb, and like I said, most people are like, "Oh, he doesn't know his own lyrics." A lot of it is just it's just comfort. It's, well, it's well, I mean, if totally, it's and knowing if 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 you're on stage and all of a sudden you have a brain fart, you can look down and be reminded, "Oh, right." You know, and when you've written a shitload of songs, you know what? Sometimes words jumble together. You go write 150 songs and then worry about singing 20 of them correctly in front of 50,000 people. Yeah. So no I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of patience for people who shit on that. Uh, then they play Motor Breath, which is this is notable because out of the three three or four live discs that we get, it's the only time that we have Motor Breath live. So I don't know if they just weren't playing it a lot. I think Motor Breath fucking kills. It's one of my favorite songs on Kill Long. <laughs> so I don't know if they were just kind of over it or didn't love it, but. Um, it's the only one from any of these shows. They do Anesthesia. Anesthesia is on all of these, and it's yeah. different every time. I know. And it's cool every time. But that's time. what a great bass player Cliff was. He, he would do, you know, he's improv It's He so had the, what was written, and then he was like, well, fuck it, I'm just going to go around this. And, and so the famous bass solo take one, that could have been anything. We've all heard it so many times that it's like, oh, that's what Anesthesia is. Right. And Rob kind of played it note for note yeah. when I saw him do it. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting to hear as I listen to all these shows for Cliff, they have the same motifs. Like, I mean, you can still tell it's the same song. Yeah. They kind of all had that do, 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 but they all kind of veered off into this cool thing. Yeah. That usually goes into Whiplash. Like, after Lars comes in, yeah. then the band comes in and they all kind of trash can and they go into Whiplash. Yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah. Yep. Uh, Seek and Destroy, Standard Fair, Metal Militia, Standard Fair. <clears throat> it's cool to see Seek and Destroy at the bottom of the set list, and they still do that today. Yeah, well, it's just a great, it's a great song to play at the end. I mean that that would probably be the mo- the most classic off of that record. I would say the three classics I would argue are Hit the Lights, uh, the Four Horsemen. Oh, actually, four Whiplash and Seek and Destroy. I would it's, see. I would say Four Horsemen, Seek and Destroy, and uh, Jump in the Fire. You think that's a classic? They don't ever play it. Nah, you're right. They don't ever play it. But I, I, I think. I just think that chorus would like. I'll say this: it surprises me that they don't play it more. Yeah, I agree. I love that, that's the fire. a good live live well, band song. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, um, 
if we are going to go toe to toe on the biggest classic on Kill 'Em All, I would say it's either Seek and Destroy or Whiplash. And you're right, it's probably Seek and Destroy. I would say Seek and Destroy. Yeah, I mean that's you know now they they incorporate it in the set now and James every night can change the name of the city. Yep, scan the scene in yeah. HQ One tonight. Yeah. We're looking for Clint Nathan. <laughs> To be guests on their podcast. To get on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> to get on the mic. Now, the second thing you see, actually, I lied before. You get a third vinyl, and the third vinyl is the Jump in the Fire picture disc Which single. Which is very badass. If you were at the party the other night, you'll notice that on the back of my battle vest, the big-ass patch on my uh, vest is actually the Jump in the Fire demon. That's what's on the cover of this picture disc. He has a name now, according to Metallica's Instagram, Riff. Oh, Riff? That's right. They, they had him like playing drums and shit. I think they had like uh, fans submit names or whatever. It was kind of like Elf on a Shelf, but it was the Jump in the Fire demon. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the studio side says Jump in the Fire. The live side, which as we all know now, is not actually live. Uh, Phantom Lord and Seek and Destroy, those were like alternate studio takes that they added crowd noise to, which is a I've strange heard people decision. doing that. Well, Kiss did it, but... yeah. I mean, but Kiss is Kiss. No one, don't, no one wants to be like Kiss. <laughs> and I say that as a Kiss freak. I know you, you are a Kiss freak. The entire fourth side of, um, oh wait, there are songs on Alive too that like Hard Luck Woman and Tomorrow and Tonight that are not live. They just added noise. Yeah. Like, why not just play them? I mean, it, it's it's well, now it, nowadays it's so easy to make a fake live record. But back then, I guess, like, no one no one would question this for a long time, you know? Well, they had no idea the internet was even going to happen. <laughs> exactly. They just thought they would get away with it literally forever. Yeah. Uh, the next thing that Ethan's going to tell us a bit about, we've got some clips. The uh, So, all right, so then we get into the CDs. Disc one of yeah. the CD, <laughs> like I'm saying CD that way, CD. <laughs> the CDs. Disc one of the compact disc is the Kill 'Em All remaster, which again we're going to burn down a track by yep. track here soon. Disc two is pretty cool. It's an interview in Radio IDs CD. Yeah. So the first thing is this: what is, it's Metal Forces interview. Yeah. So um, this this thing, I'll be honest, is really tough to listen to. It's very very poor quality. It sounds like Lars and and the dude he was doing the interview with just had a little tape recorder in between the two of them, but it sounds like they're in like either backstage or in a hotel room. And fucking James is watching TV at maximum volume in the background because there's certain points where it sounds like like maybe a, a news anchor talking on the TV, and you can hear that over Lars. It's it's a bit frustrating to listen to, but isn't it odd that no one no one thought during the whole interview to be like, hey, can we turn that down for a second? Exactly. I mean, maybe maybe originally uh, they're like shouting over. Him. Maybe it was just going to be an interview uh, that was going to be transcribed for a ah, magazine or something. And you know? he just you know what he you know what that probably is it. And he probably just taped it. To, just to collect it, because he collected everything. Well, I think he probably taped it to help transcribe it. Instead of just jotting yeah. notes and shit, yeah. he's like, oh, I'll just have a backup. Yeah. And then they're like, fuck, let's just see That makes more audio. sense as to why. Because you would think, I mean... But you know what? If I was doing that, though, if I was using that, I might still say, can we turn that down a little bit so I can exactly. hear this? <laughs> if, if, and we'll, we'll play a couple clips. He's transcribing of, Walter Cronkite and shit. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll play a couple clips of that here in a second, but it really is kind of tough to listen to. But Lars has some really cool little tidbits he talks about in the early Metallica years, because this interview takes place in 84, shortly before they're about to go record Red Lightning. And... What? um yeah, he has cool stuff about moving to the Bay Area, things like that, tape trading. So let's, let's dip in and hear some of it. Yeah, here we go. I think uh, part of the reason why we got such a good underground following was that uh, I had been that kind of person, you know, uh, doing all the underground stuff before we really got the band going and all that. You know, I, I mean, since 79, 80, I've you know, been real interested in underground metal. I moved to America just right at the time when things started happening here in Europe, you know, 80, and I kept... You know, at that time, especially in L.A., there was very, very few people 
that went into it. So it was like a real underground thing, and I knew the right people, like Ron Fontana, Brian Slagle, John Connor, and some people like that. So we got the band together and stuff. We, you know, started doing some of these uh, tapes and, you know, Life to Leather and all those. And I just knew that uh, you could get a real good underground following by sending them to the right people. People like KJ, you, Pat Scott. You know, if you gave you know, five or ten people a copy of the demo, they would send it to five or ten more people. And you would just kind of like spread out through like an underground following. And that's, you know, how we did it right at the beginning. I think that... So it was planned. A lot of bands sort of said, you know, a lot of bands, a lot of... You know, a lot of bands, especially like nowadays, aren't too aware of this whole huge underground. I guess I was just lucky that I'd, I'd been like a headbanger myself and was you know, really quite aware of that whole underground scene. So, you know, and there was all these fan magazines coming up and I mean, I just, you know, sent tapes to like five or ten of my friends who at that time, you know, at that time I was drifting away from, uh, you know, like being a headbanger and all that, you know, tape trading while all my friends were still doing that. So I just sent it to them instead of sending the tape around myself to a hundred people. You know, I just sent it to like five or ten people who were in touch with a lot of other people. And that's how we got that whole underground following started by just knowing those people that, you know, we're the principal underground people. So what do you think of that news broadcast in the background? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea all that was going on in 1984. January um, of 84. That's interesting. I do love when Lars talks about... Um, the tape trading world right and how originally it was like i'm gonna give this tape to everybody and then that clip he talks about just giving it to like five close people that were really connected in the underground scene well, and then it spreads and that's how it would spread you know but rather than giving it to everybody you know he gave it to the important people in the underground scene and i mean that was a big part of metallica's success in at it's, least in california back then well it's how they got to johnny z i mean johnny yeah. z heard the no life to leather demo yeah brought him all the way out there and it's how that even when they were playing with anthrax in 1982 uh, they had people who knew what Seek and Destroy was. Yeah, yeah. And that had been mind-blowing for those guys back in back in the day. Like, you put out this record, you're from the Bay Area, and you record in New York, and going on tour, and your, your shows are, like, packing out, and, like, whether you're opening or headlining, I mean, there's other clips in that interview, if you guys own it and listen to it, where he talks about, you know, it's just cool, like, having six to 800 people showing up to our shows in, in the Bay Area and L.A. and stuff, and it's like, fuck, on your first record... Like that's that's pretty awesome. That that to have been a pretty eye opening experience for those guys. Like, okay, something special is happening here. It's it's I've been in bands where that kind of success is seeming to happen, kind of all over the country, mm-hmm. and and you have too. And it's the fe- oh yeah the feeling. Here's what the way I've always felt. It's a strange mixture of half of you is like, does any is anyone going to like this? Are we any good? Yeah, is this working and translating? That's half of you. So when you do see the people that come out, you're so grateful and even in some ways surprised that they like it. Right, yeah. But there's another half of you that's sort of like a band ego where you're like, well, of course, like, of course this is working. It's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. We're good. Look, and so, there's there's people here. So I'm, and of course they are. Like, of course they're here. Of course. Here. Did, you've ever experienced that? It's just, yeah. it's not, it's not personal ego. It's like a band ego. Yeah. We're on my own. I'm like, I don't know. But together when I'm with my, my crew, I'm like, yeah. fuck yeah. Yeah, and you know, sometimes you get to that point where there's only you know twenty people show up, but you're like, you know what, fuck it, like these twenty people care. Like to me, that was always mind blowing. Being a touring touring musician is, especially when I was in my own band or whatever, is even in like the the days where my old band wasn't doing so well and doing our last tour and stuff. <clears throat> you know, you play like you know Vino's in Little Rock, mm-hmm. and there's literally thirty people there, and you're like, man, the little like club a, I'm thinking about is Juanita's. 
What's that? Juanitas. I played Juanitas, yeah. Little Rock. Yeah. I played there with no one there. Yeah. Done it. I've sold that place out. I've done that too. I mean, not Ethan Luck, but Mel Band. Me too. Um, You and I have probably seen a lot of spectrum on on success and, and struggle. You should come to one of my shows in Nashville. It's usually like my wife nope, and two friends. Won't even come. That's fine. <laughs> what if I play in like there. Murfreesboro? <laughs> yeah, what if I come play out where you live? I don't live in Murfreesboro. No, I didn't say you live there. No, oh. I just don't want to give away where you live because I don't want a bunch of Metal Gear Podcast fans, you know, barking down your door. Yeah, well, being super famous now is well, common. It's we've adjusted though. I think we've done all right. We have. We yeah. found a way. We well, we had plenty of security the other night at the party. So totally. Yeah. Uh, well, it, let's listen to, so if you guys don't know, a radio ID is pretty self-explanatory, but it's when a famous person or a rock star goes, hey, this is Lars Albert from Metallica, you're listening to W blah, 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 blah. Right. We're going to play some of those throughout the episode. Let's hear one or two of them yeah. right now. Just dip in on that. Metallic greetings. This is Lars Ulrich from Metallica, and you are listening to the metal show on WCSB here in Cleveland. <laughs> This is James Hetfield from the band Metallica, and you're listening to Bill Peters on the Metal on Metal show, WUJC 88.7. Yeah! It's weird hearing them sound so young. So young. I mean, they almost sound like, I mean, it sounds cliche, but they almost sound like different people. I mean, they do. Lars still kind of, he just sounds like a, if you, like if you took his voice now and just pitched it up a little bit, right. he still has that same exact accent. James always sounds a lot different to me. You can just hear the lack of experience, lack of culture. Yeah. And you still can't even hear Kirk on these. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's not playing a solo, he's not doing anything. But yeah, so that's essentially what a radio idea is. And you know what? Speaking of, I think we've got one to play. We do. Let's hear from our friend Michael Alago. Hey, this is Michael Alago from Who the F is That Guy documentary, and you're listening to Metal Up, your podcast. Oh, man. What a sweetheart. Michael was gracious enough to record a little voice memo, a podcast idea, I guess you could call it, right? A what? Podcast idea. Oh, yeah, there we go. Isn't that what it would be? We're not on the radio. Sure. Whatever. Thanks to Michael for doing that. But yeah, we want to throw it in there because that's our first ID. If you guys haven't heard our Michael Alago episode, if you guys don't even know who he is, he's the he was working with Electra at the time, and he actually was the A and R rep who got excited about Metallica and got them signed to Electra and worked with them all the way up until the Black Album, right before I think right when they started recording it, right, um, and then came back. So we did an interview with him. Go check it out. He's a real sweet dude. He became a friend of ours. And oh, yeah. Can't say enough good stuff about Michael. So the next disc, disc uh, three, which this is another one that Ethan's going to kind of walk us through a little bit. Uh, it's called Rough Mixes from Lars's Vault, Bootleg Track, and Whiplash Remix EP. The Whiplash Remix is the Neck Brace Remix. That's been out before. Yeah. The kind of faux live Seek and Destroy and Phantom Lord, that was on the Jump in the Fire right. single. But most of the most of I think what was interesting about this disc was the um, the rough mixes, but they don't really sound that different, right? That's what I that's what I think. I mean, uh, you know, if if you have this and you've listened to it, write in and let us know what you what you think the differences are. But in general, a rough mix is what it sounds like. It's 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 kind of rough to listen to. It's not going to be perfect. It's well before the actual mixing process and definitely the mastering process happens. So when I first listened through these, I was like. These sound pretty much like the record, just a little bit quieter. So if they're rough mixes, they are unmastered, but they were probably mastered for this. So that was that was my, I mean, it, they all sound bitching. What's the one with no vocal though? Uh, it was Four Horsemen. 
and that's pretty weird, right? It's like weird. It's weird. Well, it also this this is the one that sounds actually rough, right? It almost sounds like it was like dubbed after like five being on five different cassettes, and there's no vocals on it. Um, and there's there's actually I I, pl- I feel like it's a different version because there's there's little lead stuff in there that that sounds a lot different than the what ended up being on Kill 'Em All. Okay, so maybe that's the value of this thing is that you can kind of hear maybe alternate solos yeah. or Yeah, little yeah, little things like that. Um it's still really cool though. The Four Horsemen thing just made me laugh cuz I was listening to it and I was like, wow, that sounds like it sounds like they were listening back to what they recorded and then somebody had like a boombox recording it from the back of the room. Nice. Um but again, it's all it's all really cool and 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 it just it's a good representation of what was happening at that time and how it sounded and it was just raw and fucking beautiful well i think it's cool that they're kind of digging deep to try to pad this box set and really add value to it i mean oh, yeah. even if this this might be the least interesting thing to me in the box set but it's still cool to have i think it. so oh so of course it's very cool to have i mean this is stuff that you know hasn't seen the light of day until now or until this was released right it's just until this podcast until this podcast no one's heard this box <laughs> this set is actually the now. only one that exists yeah i guess I, I know you guys think you bought it but it's empty sorry right. we have james was just here old james claus and he dropped it's it empty, off just like every manager i've ever worked with yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah that, that's that's kind of that one um like clint said i i would agree it might be my least favorite part of this box set but still cool nonetheless my favorite might be the next disc, which is, um, it's a short, oh, actually, this isn't my favorite one, but this is really cool. It's Disc 4 is a live show from January 20th, 1984. Now, there's some pretty special shit in this. Yeah. Um, live at JB's Rock 3 in Middletown, New York. Uh, it's the band playing, this is the show, the first show they played after their gear was stolen. Right. And their gear being stolen has kind of become a really notable event in their history it's it was the impetus for them writing fade to black they played with all of anthrax's gear and um other than guitars obviously the audio um you can really tell they scrounged this up the audio doesn't really start until about halfway th- uh it starts at the beginning of the four horsemen so um i did notice like you can hear them tuning in between songs yeah and they're just tuning to themselves individually well, stage tuners weren't really a thing back then right it's just it's just it's almost <clears> like um <throat> I've felt I've because I you and I are a generation that remembers not having internet all the time. Yeah, remember when you would have to like go to a friend's house and they would just tell you how to get there on the phone. Yes, and you, you write it down or not even write or just it down. Remember it. Just remember. It. I remember like you know whether it was to, not even touring, even being at home and like a friend's giving me directions to like a rehearsal space That's or something, and I'd be like halfway there and be like, oh crap, what was the exit? I would get off, go to a payphone, right. And hopefully he was still at home or a phone. Yeah. Or you would just remember (laughs) and it would be crazy shit too. It'd be like, okay, you're going to pass a seven 11, take your third, right, go to two stop signs, take a left. And you would just, it'd be the same way. Like I probably had 25 phone numbers memorized. Now I hardly know my wife's phone number. <laughs> I swear to God, she quizzes my wife of like nine years. We share a home and a daughter. Quiz you. She'll quiz me. And sometimes I don't know it. Hey, what's my phone number? literally no clue absolutely no clue well do you know my phone number of course i don't do. say it but do you know it really? exactly yeah of course I do. do you do really <laughs> no, no I don't you don't know no way. it starts with 615 no it starts with 20 what's birmingham 208 205 205 i love how confidently you said the wrong thing it starts with 615 nope <laughs> <laughs> well we are in that we're in tennessee so but my point is 
this is similar in the in that like you had to just really listen and tune well. Yeah. I feel like the advent of having a tuner, like I feel like I have a tuner in my phone. There's a little clip on tuner on my guitar. I yeah. have a hundred pedal tuners. Yeah. I've gotten shittier at tuning. Yeah. Well, and you have to understand back then, uh, if there was a pedal board, uh, if there was a tuner on there, I mean, back in the day, was for they would, yeah, six was sometimes guys would have, uh, there was remember those old quartz tuners had the little needle that go back and I forth. I remember that there I had one. There were those and they had like a, th- a through output. So right. where you, could, you couldn't mute, you couldn't mute, but it was there. Right. And then uh, other than that, it'd be like your guitar tech had like a big old con strobe tuner. Like I got sitting up there right on in his guitar tech. But they world. weren't even changing guitars that much. I mean, they were just tuning. They're just going. Yeah. Anyway, that poked out to me, and for all those out there who want us to talk more about gear and the technical side of being musicians, that was for you guys. Sorry. Sorry for those of you who were really super bored by that. What's a quartz tuner? (laughs) Did a giant make it? Quartz? Quartz like rocks? Is it made out of the beanstalk Jack used to (laughs) climb up to the giant? Uh, Usually, what I notice is before jumping the fire, James says something, which is what they played next. James usually says, this is for, for this one, he says, this is for all you people who go crazy every fucking night, not just on the weekends. Yeah, man. Like Wednesdays. Like school nights. Yeah, Thursdays. Now, here's what's really interesting. Uh, They play Five Fire with Fire next, and James actually talks about their gear being stolen. Have you seen us before? Uh, A couple of you. You might notice a few things missing. Ah, we ran into a bit of bad luck. Seems some motherfuckers in Boston stole everything we own except our guitars. So Anthrax was kind enough to lend us some amps and drums and shit like that. So we can play for you tonight. Which is just an interesting document of that time. Yeah. I mean, it's fresh on their minds. It just happened days prior or whatever, you know. I mean, James, obviously, according to Faded Black, was suicidal. Was about suicidal it. about it. Well, and you got to imagine people coming there to see Metallica and the kick drums say Anthrax. Right. Or whatever, you know, it's like a right. little confusing The at kick first. drums actually say Scottian. <laughs> yeah, they, even though Charlie <laughs> Benante is a drummer, it says Scottian. <laughs> um other cool things is they actually play that acoustic intro. They play it on their electrics. Yeah. And really, Cliff kind of saves the day on it. It's really Cliff hitting a lot of the bass notes that are making a lot of harmonies yeah. and driving it almost. But it does sound kind of plinkety-plinky. It's not great, yeah. Um, and also in the choruses, instead of saying fire, 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 the ending is near, fire, fire, uh, he just says fight, fire with fire for the whole chorus. Yeah. Fight fire with fire. Fight fire with fire. Five fuego with fuego. <laughs> Next, they play "Ride the Lightning," which I think these these "Ride the Lightning" tunes are just really special treats to hear them. Yeah, because we, it's basically "Kill 'Em All" sound and "Kill 'Em All" Metallica. Yes. But the "Ride the Lightning" tunes, which I think were a massive, massive like, jump. Well, you know how it is. I've been you know played music for so many years in, in different bands. When you're on the road playing a, a certain album, mm-hmm. then but you have some new tunes on the horizon, you start incorporating them just to test them out live and right. see how the crowd's going to react, and you're just excited to play something new. Right, you're more so, stoked about them. Yeah, so it, I mean, even seeing these set lists, it gets me excited just to see that stuff in there. Me so. too. Uh, next, they play Phantom Lord, uh, and James says, I want you to scream louder than the PA. And he, he says this several times on these live shows. He says, this one's for all the old trues. Who've known us for a while back in the old demo days? He, there's a lot of talk, and I guess this was just a Bay Area underground metal thing. 
I mean, I was wasn't even born yet, so I don't know. But <laughs> he talks a lot about posers, yeah, and people who who he calls trues, true fans, trues. Okay, and so there's a lot of this talk about like like on one of the shows, I think it's the Metro show before they play um, No Remorse, they're like this one's going to get all the fucking posers out of here that aren't true, you know? Trues after one record. Right. Yeah. The I old mean, demo days like six months ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess at this point I've been, but what? Right. But it's not like, it's it's not like it's fucking 10 year deep cuts. I know, I know. But I mean, this kind of music was, was theirs. You yeah. know, they helped create it. They were part of that original scene in the Bay Area. So for them, it's like, if you don't know this shit or you don't know these bands that we were uh, playing with in the Bay Area, then you're not, a, you're not a true. Yeah. I mean, I think that was a big part of the culture. Like if you're a new listener to a podcast and you haven't started from episode one, you're a poser. This is for all you trues out there back from back 2017. From- <laughs> uh, then they play Seek and Destroy. And I wanted to insert this. Uh, so here's for all you here. Seek and Destroy from the Middletown show on January 20th, 1984. Enjoy. We were supposed to play a gig in Boston on Wednesday, and the crew went up there and uh, got our truck ripped off with all our fucking equipment in it. So we'd like to thank our great friends and label mates, Anthrax, for letting us use their equipment to fucking blow your ears off tonight. Let's give them a hand, come on! We want all the enthusiasm to keep going up through this next song. This one's for them. And I want all of you screaming on that chorus of this one. Some of you might know it, some of you might not, but fucking teach your friends. This one's entitled, Seek and Destroy!
ripping. Wow. Whoa, man. That's fucking cool, man. Oh, I feel so true. Wow. Oh, we're trues. Uh... And you, as you guys heard, James talks more about the gear being stolen. I just found that really interesting hearing him talk about it. Yeah. He thinks their label mates Anthrax for letting them use their gear. Then we get Whiplash. And I did want to insert this clip. There's a really cool Cliff Burton bass intro. Oh, this yeah. Song. This is bitching. Show, goes to show how special. I mean, even in a band like that, he was doing this really cool kind of far out shit. I mean, he was doing far out stuff that he'd sh- like. You know, normally you hear guys doing it like jam bands and stuff like. But that's not nearly as cool. Obviously, like he would just improv and make up shit. Like, oh, we're gonna do this intro. And we're just gonna fucking hit an E and, and he's just playing whatever. Well, and like you could hear how aggro James is, and it's like Cliff was so well respected, and and obviously was bringing so much cool musical flavor to the table, but. I could imagine James for another dude that maybe he respected less being like, right. cut that shit out. Yeah. You're not true. <laughs> well, I love it. Especially You're not on, wearing on this leather. One. You're wearing fucking <clears throat> denim bell bottoms. Yeah, exactly. Like how did Cliff must have gotten a big old pass on the whole leather <laughs> bullet belt, no life to a leather shit. Because Cliff Burton was like, mm, I'm going to wear a fucking cowboy hat and I mean, bell bottoms. Yeah, but they fucking relocated their band for that dude. They let him do whatever he wants. That's what I'm saying, man. They're like, hey, you're cool, man. No... How about back to the subject? No life till denim. Right. We're gonna we're gonna let you pass. No life till whatever you want, dude. You want to play a yes record on the bus? No problem. No problem. You're Cliff Burton. We think yes is super <laughs> fucking lame, but you're Cliff Burton. All right, and that's the end of that show. Uh, it sounds like they did an encore, but we don't have the audio of that. You can kind of hear them. You hear the people asking for an encore. Yeah. And I think you hear an MC being like, "You want them to come back?" But then, sadly. Mm. The CD fades. They probably came out and, and then played um, Low Man's Lyric. They probably came out and played, yeah, The Unforgiven 3. Yeah. Uh, disc 5, which is a really cool show. Uh, disc 5 is actually my favorite from everything included here. Um, it's an earlier show. It's from October 31st, 1983, live at the Keystone in Palo Alto. And the reason it's my favorite is because it's the debut of Fight Fire with Fire, Ride the Lightning, and Creeping Death. Yeah. It's bitching. So just what a... Ch- it's almost like... I don't know, dude. It's almost like this one show is worth the value of the entire box set for how important that document is. I agree. It's a very, I mean, it's a very, very important time in Metallica history to, to just with the debuts of those songs. I mean, right. it's so crazy. I mean, imagine, I mean, surely there's obviously Metallica fans still out there that were at this show. And in retrospect, it's no, like, they, no, they, they've shit. all died. They've all, they they're all so, died there. They, they all died that night. Oh, that's a, yeah. that's a shame. What a bummer. Yeah, this just got dark. No. Well, anyway, yeah. that's episode 56. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, imagine someone that was there, whatever age they are now, looking back going, man, or getting this box and going, holy shit, I didn't know that that was the first time they played that song, right. and I was there. I think he says it on a few. Like He's like, this is the first time we played this. Um, I have a lot of notes about this track list. I'll try to get through them all. I hope this is- That was a good James, by the way. This is the first time we played this. Clint, man, you heard Clint does that great James Heflin apparently. Clint. 
do do your James Hetfield, man. No, seriously, you're gonna fucking love this. You're gonna think James Hetfield's in the room. Clint, Clint, do your James. All right, here we go. You know what I'm doing? So I told you, right? James. All right, they open with hit the lights. Now I did want to insert a clip. This is funny because I guess James can't really hear himself on the monitors, and Mark Whitaker, their famed early day sound man, I guess is not quickly addressing the problem, and you hear James go, "Mark." Mark, you're an asshole. He yells it into the mic. I know. Let's listen to that. Mark! Mark! Mark Whitaker, you're an asshole! Isn't that crazy? I mean, the, the, the audio right there, it's so distorted and stuff, but it's, it's audible. You know what he's yeah. saying. Next they go into the Four Horsemen, which is pretty good. Again, again, James yells, "Come on, Mark!" The echo on the vocal, the echo is rough. It's like all of a sudden he wants Mark wants or the front of house wants him to be in fucking rockabilly band. I think this because as these live shows are going on throughout the box set, we're getting earlier and earlier. And as we know, James was pretty insecure about his singing, so I think one of his ways of dealing Covered with up. it was he told Mark, "Hey, man, put some fucking ketchup and mustard on this shit for yeah. sure." Yeah. Uh, most singers are really scared of it being dry. The older I get, the more confident I get as a singer. The more dry I like it. I I like it dry and loud. Maybe I'm not confident enough, but I uh, I, I love reverb on my vocal. Well, you know you suck you when you have reverb on your vocal. Well, you tend to be pitchy with reverb. Like See, whenever for, I cut vocals at my house when when I'm writing and recording at my at my studio, I mean, uh, the artist always wants tons of reverb and I always fight them on it because you you sing and pitch more with less reverb. I find that I. Well, maybe not like a like a like a long hall reverb, but a bit of a room reverb. I feel like as a as a world class singer, Grammy Grammy nominated. Oh yeah, of course. That I actually can control my pitch better. That's just for me. Like when I listen well, back to what I did, I'm like, I, wow. Well, that's true. I mean, I think what you're noticing is you're probably more confident because you have more of a yeah, maybe a that's net, it. Yeah. So you're probably leaning in more. Whereas if you're dry and up front, you may be more timid. Yeah. So that may be what you're compensating for, but I bet Paul, you know who we need is Paul? Paul? Um, I couldn't tell if you're just producing me just now or managing me. Well, because sometimes the reverb, the actual reverb that you're hearing um, ha- has, um, it modulates. Right, right. And so you, you're naturally trying to tune to yourself, but yeah. you're tuning to a modulation. Yeah. And by so, that, Clint means like the, the, the note that's ringing out. Sharper flat. It goes sharper flat, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, and, and you, and that was just <laughs> reverb one Oh one. Um, where are we? Where, what are we talking about? Oh, okay. uh, delay sounds great on the bridge. Yeah. So the, the delay kind of works on some moments, but I would say for the most part on this whole show, the echo in James's voice is pretty yeah. rough. It's just, it's just so out in front. It's like if they just turn the old mix knob down on the reverb, the actual like the, the decay volume of the reverb just back that off a little bit and it's hard to tell like maybe in that actual room the way it was playing off the room and the body soaking it up yeah. it might have been a little more more palatable easy to listen to than just sort of a straight board mix right yeah um, next I play Jump in the Fire he introduces the song as coming out on a single soon it's just weird weird for me to think of Jump in the Fire as a single I know although if I had to pick one it would be either that or Seek and Destroy or Hit the Lights Hit the Lights could be a single Hit the Lights I mean there's, there's catchy shit on all of that yeah Four Horsemen, I mean... Motor Breath is catchy. Four Horsemen is too long. It's long. But Seeking the Story is kind of long, too. Yeah. They're both six, seven minutes. Anyway, they play Fight Fire with Fire, and this is the debut, and I wanted to add this. So for you guys out there, here's Metallica, their debut performance of Fight Fire with Fire. Enjoy. 
all very cool. It's, I mean, it's it. it's it's kind of sloppy, but it's powerful. Yeah, I mean, and I wonder how many times they actually like rehearsed it. I mean, they didn't have a tuning room back then. They probably maybe it sound checks ran through it, things like that. I mean, anytime outside of the garage and, and actually writing the song, right? You know, you only have so much time to run the stuff at any kind of sound check or whatever. So the gang vocals at the end are pretty funny. Yeah, fight, fight! Like whoever's doing that's real loud. Fight. I notice in a lot, a lot of these live ones, you know, Kirk's guitar will be cranked, but then when it, when the solo's done, his guitar is still really loud. There's a lot of live, <laughs> right? There's a lot of live stuff where James's rhythm isn't that loud. I know, and I wonder if they just, you know, in re- releasing this box set, they didn't have like the, any like master tapes. Or well, this maybe stuff. it's maybe it's starting to make sense why he called Mark Whitaker an asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kirk's too loud. I'm not loud enough, and Kirk's too loud. <laughs> oh wait, no. Here's James saying that. Kirk too loud. That sounds like Papa talking in his sleep. <laughs> Papa's totally well, asleep. Talking, dude. Pretty Papa, wake up. Time to go. I'm talking in my sleep. Sometimes I talk in my sleep. Well, it is time to go hunt We're about to go hunt some tofu. Hunt <laughs> tofu? Goddamn. All right. Uh, then they play Ride the Lightning. This is also the debut. James talks about how they wrote it in their quote-unquote shithole in the Bay Area. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and again, it's just interesting to hear the kill em all kind of sound for these Ride the yeah. Lightning songs. It's so different. Phantom Lord, uh, the echo in the chorus is insanely bad. In fact, <laughs> let me just, let, let, me just let me you guys hear how bad this echo sounds on James's voice. Pretty rough. Oh well, moan for the money. <laughs> it's but also kind of endearing. I don't know. It's just so much. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. The next thing is another big treat. Another reason this show is so cool. They play when hell freezes over the debut, which, as the diehards out there know, is the original title, the working title of what ended up becoming the Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, and it sounds pretty close. I mean, some of the solos hadn't been quite worked out. But, you know, it's, they play it definitely fast. There's some, like when James is doing the, it's kind of clammy. Yeah, yeah. Can you describe what a clam is? Uh, I would imagine it's like if you had a clamshell for a hand, you're trying to play guitar, and it's just, it's really tough. Is that why they're called, a clam is when you hit a bad note, or you hit like a, you hit the right note, but you pluck, you hear more of the hit of the string. Yeah. I don't know why you would call it a clam. I always would say those notes were chunked. Hmm, I've never heard that. Yeah, you chunk that part. I don't know. You know what? The, I did a record in New York. You know what they call diamonds up there? They call them footballs. Footballs? Okay. A diamond is just a whole note. So like if you're playing on a beat, one, two, three, four, on the first beat, you just strum a chord that plays throughout the entire bar. They yeah, call those it's diamonds. like a note that rings out and stuff. Yeah. And so when you're making a, a chart in Nashville, if you're learning a song, you'll put that chord or that number that correlates to the chord, and you'll put a diamond around it. An actual diamond. But in New York, I was making charts of this record, and they were like, what the fuck is that diamond thing you're writing? I was like, oh, we call these diamonds. They call them footballs. Footballs. Which, I mean... Didn't get a clear answer why. I mean, if you put a football up on its side, I mean, it's... Or maybe they circle diamond it, and that's why they call it a football. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe it was really confusing. I don't know. I'm sure they also called it clams, though. Um, what song are we on? Where are we? Uh, uh, Seek and Destroy, yeah. which again, he says, for all the trues and not the posing freaks who just come whenever. The posing freaks who come whenever. And you hear people cry, be like, yeah! Hey, if I could talk to uh, 1983 James, hey, guess what? You're going to have a lot of poses coming once the Black Album comes out. No shit. <laughs> well, he's changed his tune on that. I mean, 
I'm sure he's thinking, this is for all you people out there who like Inner Sandman. <laughs> yeah. We're Do you real like glad the- that all th- 100 millions of you guys yeah. like the song Inner yeah. Sandman. Yeah, you're selling out the stadium. I don't Thank think you. James cares if they know what Fixer is. I don't think he I cares. I don't think he gives a shit. I don't think he, he cares if they know what trues are. <laughs> I don't think he cares what a true is anymore. You think he cares about what a clam is? I don't he know. He probably eats clams. He might eat clams. He probably hunts clam. Yeah, with a bow and arrow. Big clam hunter. Yeah, big clam hunter, James. Well, he was in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, we get anesthesia. Sounds amazing. Into Whiplash. She dedicates Whiplash to more friends and calls them crazy fucks. They go for their encore. They come back and they debut Creeping Fucking Death. Mm. Dedicated to all the kings out there, which it was a Halloween show. So there were a lot of dudes in the crowd dressed up like King Diamond. Yeah. Which, as you know, because you're sitting here before me, I am currently dressed up as King Diamond. Yeah. I couldn't. When Clint walked in in my studio, King? I, I, I was like, Mr. Diamond? No way you met Martin Luther the King. You know what that's from? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, uh, put- Coming to America? <laughs> yes. It's about how he punched him. Good morning, my neighbors. <laughs> I fuck you. Man, you ain't me, Martin Luther the King. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was coming, and I, and I turned the corner, and he hit me, and he knocked me down, and he got on top of me. I said, hey, you're the king. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great movie. Dude, I love it. Did we just start a movie podcast? Are we a movie? I wish life I could do falsetto high enough to sing the Soul Glow theme just song. Let your soul glow. It's up there, dude. It's like, <laughs> I can't do that. It's Soul Glow. You can be all the things you always wanted to be beautiful sexy easy as one two three just let your soul go just let it shine through just let your Oh, a goat herder. Okay. Uh, Creeping that's awesome. He gets some of the lyrics wrong, but again, it's a brand new song. They're just debuting it. Yeah. Uh, or he, or he, they might, it may not have been wrong. It may have been what he originally wrote. He says to kill the Pharaoh's firstborn son rather than the firstborn Pharaoh's son. I am nitpicking here. You kill the Pharaoh's firstborn son. It works. That would work, yeah. To and then kill fl- the soul glow. <laughs> it originally said to kill the first soul glow. <laughs> and then they changed it to, to kill the first pharaoh's <laughs> to kill the to kill the pharaoh's first soul glow do and it was a song was about good. it was a song about jerry curls um why am i blanking on uh eddie murphy's character uh when he's a singer um when he's the oh oh ladies and gentlemen sexual chocolate sexual chocolate yeah that's the name of the band yeah i believe the children of the future thank you very much then that boy good good and terrible <laughs> Gosh, I, we got to watch that again. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, we're wrapping this up. A Kirk guitar solo. It's fine. It's Kirk. It's great. Metal Militia. Very cool bass solo in the middle. And then at the end, James gets the whole, gets the whole crowd to chant, Metal up your ass. Noise here. Metal up your ass! 
I would chant. I'm, I'm not a big chanter at shows. When they when the guys like doing the thing, like I want you to put your hands yeah. sexual chocolate. I've just never. But man, I mean, when we it is fun to get into it though. I mean, when we were at at the Detroit show, we were screaming, we were going crazy. Oh yeah, when yeah. I was at Philly and they played Creeping Death, you think I wasn't screaming? You die. Were, oh, you're right. You're right. Of course I was. You're right. It, you know what? When it's really awkward when a singer tries to get to do that, when you're at a show with like 20 people, right? Everyone sing along. Everyone get close to the stage. You're like, no, I'm gonna sit back here at the bar, dude. <laughs> Yikes! No, I can you. guarantee one thing: when I play a show for five people, I will never ask you to get closer to the stage, and will never ask you to sing along. This is for all, for all you people up there in the back. <laughs> I can't see. I'm gonna I'm gonna start uh, saying stuff like, apparently there's no trues in the crowd. <laughs> Y'all, a bunch of posers. Bunch of fun, fake posers only come out on the weekends. <laughs> Oh geez. Okay, and the last the last thing here before we kind of burn down a track by track is a very cool. I mean, I was stoked when this showed up on YouTube. It's a DVD of them live at the Metro in Chicago. It's on August twelfth, nineteen eighty three. This was on the Kill 'Em All for One tour with Raven. And sadly, there's no audio for the first seventeen minutes, but there is video. Like you see them, you see them basically get introduced, and they all this fog comes out, <laughs> and it's the three of them except James. And then James comes up, and James is fucking going crazy. Yeah. It's really fun to watch. His face looks absolutely insane. He's tall and thin. He's wearing the bullet belt and the bullet wristband. Lars is wearing a Metallica shirt, of course. Cliff, of course, all denim. Uh, James into it. A little awkward. Still trying to figure it out. And the crowds does not seem super into it until about halfway through the set. Right. All right. Here's the set list. Hit the lights. Four horsemen. Jump on the fire. Phantom Lord, No Remorse, Anesthesia, Whiplash, Seek and Destroy, Kirk Solo. Now, a really funny thing happens in Kirk Solo. Have you seen this? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't get that far when I was making uh, mental notes and, okay. get, and pulling clips out. Yeah, this is amazing. So, Kirk's a couple of times during the show. Oh, I have seen this. A couple. Yes. A couple of times during the show. This is how small this club is. Kirk's playing a solo, and someone's like putting his hand on his guitar, and you can hear like you can hear clams. You hear clams. It almost sounds like when you mess up on guitar, right. it's like Krung. that's because of fans literally fucking putting their hand on his guitar. So during his solo, he he rips. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's nineteen eighty three. Kirk, it's yeah. fun, and he goes to his wall of Marshall stacks, and he's like putting his V up on the stack and rubbing it. It's sort of a precursor to when he used to rub his butt on his guitar. <laughs> You ever seen him do that? Uh, yeah, it's real weird. I hate it. All right. And he's putting the guitar, but he's getting all this feedback, and he goes and he holds the V out by the two horns. And what he's trying to do is just hold it out so they'll just hit it and hit make the noise. strings, make noise. Yeah. They fucking take the guitar, and Kirk's literally like, he's got his hands up, like, guys, hey, guys my- I'm trying to play a show here. And you just hear the guitar, it goes through the crowd, and it's, the guitar's just getting fucking mangled. And Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk is literally sitting on stage like and, well, a, and one of their roadies jump, jumps from like James's position on stage just jumps right into the I crowd I need to rewatch that <laughs> to get the it's just it's hardcore commitment. road dog shit oh yeah you have to because uh, guess what if the show's done they walk backstage they're gonna look at you going why didn't you go fucking get it well oh ab- oh ab- now some asshole in Chicago has my guitar absolutely yeah absolutely Kirk's expecting them to figure it out but when when the band comes back up to start uh, Metal Militia, James and Cliff are laughing. And James is like, this is one of the rowdiest fucking crowds we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but the treat we wanted to leave with you guys is this version of Whiplash is really cool. A lot of cool Cliff stuff in it. So here you go. Here's Whiplash from this Metro show.
Makes me miss Cliff, man. I know, absolutely. It really does. Watching a lot of this stuff, a lot of the live stuff on on the DVD is like, I mean, dude, it's. Well, we watching kinda, Cliff. Just, I mean, we've all we all seen videos of him over the years and over the years, but like, man, there's some stuff in here where you're just like, fuck, dude, like. And we've kind of, you know, we just did back to the front, so we're we've kind of been in Cliff land a little bit, and so. Yeah. You know, dude is just cool, especially. Yeah, dude. it's good to be back in Cliff land. Um, you want to do a track by track? Let's do it. Track by track. All right, hit Let's the lights. Hit the lights. What do you think a year later, Clint? <laughs> I gotta say, um, and this is gonna be a theme this year, I think, as we maybe revisit some things we've already talked about, right? As well as all the new shit we're gonna do, Lulu and Cliff them all, and the, the Big Four and all that stuff. Um, I'm a year into this. I'm a year into listening to Metallica every day. Yeah, and I've like you would expect, I have deeper appreciation for it all. Yeah, and uh, we've talked about this before we recorded the episode, but like both of us have been diving into Kill 'Em All quite a bit in the last few weeks, and even at the party the other night, like you know, I mentioned earlier, hear, hearing those songs like in a club atmosphere and stuff. Like, I don't know, I, I, I for a record as old as it is and as long as I've been listening to it lately for some reason like it's taking on like a, a new meaning for me and, and like a, a, yeah, whole, me a whole new beast to me, me. it's like you know you're, you're hearing the, this this the early incarnation of metallica like post demos the first recording of the band that would go on to change the shape of heavy metal music especially with the song at our party uh last week a friend of mine who plays fiddle in the country band that i'm in his name is mark evitz he actually played the fiddle on uh, my version of Low Man's lyric. Oh, nice! Didn't know that. Obviously, I couldn't find a hurdy gurdy anywhere. But um, I thought you ha- you got one for Christmas. So, hit the lights came on uh, our playlist while Mark and I were talking at the, the party. F- that was the first song. Yeah, it was right. It was kind of at the beginning of the party. And, yeah, that was. Yeah, I put that first on the playlist. And, yeah. and Mark, Mark's a deep cat and a music lover, but he's not a big metal guy. Sure. And uh, poor guy. We we're talking about whatever something else, and he stopped me. And he was like, he was like, what is this playing right now? I said, dude, this is Hit the Lights. And he was like, this sounds incredible. I said, dude, this is the first song they ever wrote. This is, this, this is like, and it's the opening track of the record, that great fade in. And it's and it's the song that, it's like the seminal thrash song. Yeah. It's, it's basically the song that started thrash metal. I love that this song, the recorded version of this, is how they would play it live. Yeah. You come on stage and just hit a note and ring it out and then right. just go up to the next one and ring it out. It's a great opener. It's why they opened with it. Yeah, all it was these shows. so good. Yeah, and it... I, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast with you know being in bands. Oftentimes in the studio, you ask yourself, "Hey, okay, this song is cool. Let's record it." But how would we do this live? Yeah. Would we change anything about this later? Right. And it sounds like that maybe that maybe they just took how they were doing it live and just did it in the studio. You know what I think is interesting about this song? I feel this way about this song and Metal Militia. Yeah. Is I've heard it a million times. I don't know what he's saying until I read the lyrics. <laughs> I know the No Left to Leather are going to kick some ass tonight. Yeah. But he, the cadence of how he sings the lyrics. Yeah. He sings them really strange. Like, well, really, th- I mean, thank the good Lord that we have the box set now because now we know what the lyrics are. Until now, you didn't know what the lyrics were. Yeah, it starts out with No uh, no Left to Leather, Just Let Your Soul Glow. Just Let Your Soul Glow. 
No love to leather. Just let your soul grow. <laughs> what can we say? I mean, we love Hit the Lights. We, oh, yeah. We, everyone loves the song. Yeah. Uh, the one-two punch, though, into Four Horsemen is no joke. Oh, my gosh. No joke. No. Ba, 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 ba. How about that fucking thank riff, you, Dave dude. Mustaine? <laughs> yeah, we can thank Dave for that. Yeah, also known as the Mechanics. Off, an awful song. Have you listened to the Megadeth? Yeah. the Mechanics. Yeah, it's so much faster. Yeah, and the I'm not. I can't get behind the lyric. It is. Yeah, it, it is tough. Because um, all the all the Four Horsemen sort of apocalyptic inter- imagery is so fucking killer. Yeah. I mean, props to Dave, though. I mean, he, you know, he was obviously pissed off back then. They were taking his solos and his riffs and putting them on the record. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to take this one back and put it on my first record. I'm surprised he never did that with, like, Jump in the Fire or, um, yeah. you know, or this is other one on this record. No Remorse. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, he's got stuff on Lightning, too. No, it's a Phantom Lord, I meant. Oh, that's right. Phantom, Phantom Lord. Lord. And I think even Metal Militia. Yep, Metal Militia, Militia as well. Um, one of the things that I was really honing in on, especially on this song, The Four Horsemen, is... Kirk double tracked the solo and you can hear they're mostly the same but there are these little differences oh they stray from each other a little bit especially in kind of how they come out like how they sort of land how yeah. they end but it adds such a cool effect it's it's just almost it, like I've, double it almost, I've double tracked solos before but yeah. you, you try to play them exactly the same sure it almost sounds like you know he almost turned on like a harmony pedal or right. something for like a couple bars right but I remember reading an interview with him where he said that they literally just took two takes yeah, that were really similar, and just added this really cool thing and beefed it up. That uh, that that instrumental version of Four Horsemen uh, on whatever disc that was three or four. Um, yeah. There's just one on there. Okay, cool. So, and, and when I listened to, it, I was expecting to hear the, the the double lead, but it's not there. And I think we mentioned this last time we talked about Kill 'Em All, but this is really the first taste. Obviously, it's just track two of their debut record, but of of. Um, their progressive nature. Yeah. This is probably their first kind of progressive song. It's not right. as progressive as fucking Injustice for All, but sure. it is sort of getting there. But I mean, you know, on their very first record, I mean, that whole bridge is, it's pretty ballady. I think the Four Horsemen is as close as they get on Kill 'em All to the sophistication that would come on Ride the Lightning. Yeah, I agree. Would I you, agree. Is that? 100%, yeah. Um, and it's a great lyric. I mean, I, I think a lot of the lyrics on Kill 'em All are are funny. There are now. I mean, I think if you put your, you, you know, if you put your head in the mindset that Hetfield was in in those early thrash days in the Bay Area, saying, you know, no left to leather, and then you know we're gonna kick some ass tonight. Right. Uh, we'll never stop. We we'll got never the quit. metal madness. Metallica. Yeah, that was just. I mean, that was it was it was a pride they had for being from that area and being a part of that scene. But those are the those are the songs that I don't think of age as well. Like Four Horsemen, this sort of bigger idea. Yes, yes, um, I see what you're saying. Seek and Destroy is a bigger idea. Yeah, that I think that's maybe one of the reasons. I think the songs are catchier, but it's one of the reasons those two have lived on the most. Yeah, yeah. Um, Motor Breath. Oh God. I love short, short and sweet, very punk rock. Yes, that's 
you know, when I first got Kill 'Em All, when I was pretty fairly young, um, I was also getting into punk rock around the same time, and that's the first thing I thought of. I'm like, oh, this is like a punk. This could be a punk rock song. And as we all know, punk rock is kind of probably the most important ingredient, I would argue, in thrash music. Yeah. Thrash music is this combination of the new wave of British heavy metal, classic metal, and this sort of American take on it. But really what makes it unique, I think, is the sort of misfits attitude, the punk rock of it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and even stylistically, not, not only just like what your your attitude is about the, within the music, but... Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many elements of punk rock in early Metallica. One of my favorite moments, not only on the record, but in all of Metallica recordings, is those breaks after each chorus. That brown, 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 that sort of um, hammer on and pull off. Oh, on what? Four Horsemen? No, on Motor Breath. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Motor Breath. Ah, Take your breath away. It's like it's a really cool, unique sounding. Not phrase. super easy to play, too. Real hard to play. Yeah, it's almost like a really fast, fast version of uh, Detroit Rock City. <laughs> I never thought Oh, you're gonna get me excited about Kiss here. Oh. Settle down. Uh, luckily, we got to see Motor Breath in Detroit. Yeah, we did. It was such a treat. They did a, the rotating slot, which they would either do Hit the Lights, Motor Breath, or Whiplash. Maybe, were they doing Jump in the Fire? No, I got Motor Breath in, in Philly as well. Okay. It was just a treat to see Motor Breath in a stadium and have it, have it still kick that much ass. And, and it's hard to believe when you look at a band like Metallica and you go to a show in 2017 um, and see a band selling out a stadium and still playing shit from their first record. I know. Like, most bands that achieve stadium status aren't doing that. Like, I mean, I don't know if Taylor Swift, for instance, she sells out stadiums. Um, I don't know her catalog really other than like singles here on the radio, but like, I don't know if she's like, oh, let me play something from my first album for you guys. I think a lot of bands, especially bands that start out as young as they were, that, that morph into this monster that they became. Yeah. This, you know, especially starting with puppets. Right. That's the, the, the fucking machine of Metallica. They might even be, they might have just felt like they've moved on so far from where they were when they wrote this stuff that right. they just feel like maybe fans love it, but they don't as much. But they still are able to pull, I mean, Seek and Destroy I, still kills. Oh, it still kills. Well, and here's the, here's the difference between Metallica and like another arena or stadium sized artist that maybe doesn't touch on their early records. Metallica's first record still fucking kicks ass. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like they're embarrassed of like, oh god, we can't play anything. Or like that. Pantera's first four records, <laughs> yeah, Metal where, Magic, where they were basically a, like a glam, glam band. band. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ethan and I are going to be doing a. Uh, we've gotten requests to do um, sort of a top ten of like most underrated Metallica songs. Yeah, yeah, that was a good request. And I would, I mean, spoiler alert, I would probably put Motor Breath on that list. Yeah, it would be it'd be fairly high on my list. I think. And even though even though we all love it and know it, I would say there's something pretty special and different about it. Also, it's the only song I know of the songwriting credits just for Hetfield. It just says Jay Hetfield. There's I mean, no Hetfield Ulrich. That's pretty unusual. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Jump in the fire. I mean, I called it a classic earlier. It's it's up there for me. Good Mustaine parts in there. Yeah. I mean, that that opening riff, I mean, it sounds like a Megadeth riff. Yeah. You know, it really does. You would know more about that than me. Hello, B. <laughs> I know more about this shit than you. <laughs> I know more about this than me. You know where I learned it? Uh, Say it. 
Well, I was reading the Reader's Digest. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Tell it to the Reader's Digest. <laughs> Why don't you? <laughs> My palms are sweating. <laughs> um, I mean, Jumping the Fire is awesome. It's... Uh, the chorus is a great live chorus. I'm sure, like when they played, you know, the whole crowd is like, "So oh, come on, you know." Great live moment, yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I've said this before. Maybe other than Devil's Dance, uh, this is the only song about the devil. The specifically the devil. We'll name another song about the devil. Wasn't there another one we talked about the, uh, recently? A Metallica song about the devil. Or maybe we were talking about demons before. What's one about I demons? can't remember. We were talking about, it was, I don't know, someone will email us and remind us. Well, Listen, I mean, our brains see. turn to mush after we do these episodes and we edit them. So. I mean, down in the depths of my fiery home, the summons bell will chime, tempting you and all the earth to join our sinful kind. There's a job to be done and I'm, and I'm the one. You people made me do it. Now it's time for your fate and I won't hesitate to pull you down into this pit. So come on and jump in the fucking fire. Are you sure it's not about The Undertaker? <laughs> the wrestler? Yeah, the wrestler. You know what? I am sure that it is about The Undertaker. Yeah, me too. We're going to have Vince McMahon on next week, and he can clar- <laughs> clarify it for us. Are you ready to jump in the fire? <laughs> How do you like that little mashup? I little love crossover? that. <laughs> uh, I mean, Jump in the Fire is, is easily one of my favorite songs on the record. I mean, I still listen to it this day, and I get stoked on that song. And I love the... the I, Iconography of that demon. I've yeah. got it on my battle vest. I think it's it's the only time they ever really did that vibe, like right. a demon. I mean, and that was the, the artwork for that single back then. This was a single, by the way. It was fucking scary. I mean, you can imagine, like in early early eighties, like you're a parent and your son comes home with this like twelve inch vinyl single, and, like, it's, oh, shit. and it's that. It's everything they were afraid of. Yeah, I mean, like some of that early single artwork was so cool. And I think and the scary. deal with it being a single was. They signed a Megaforce with Johnny Z. They did the Raven Offer One tour. Yeah. And I think their first time over in Europe, the people who handled the, the distribution maybe of Kill 'em All called Music for Music for Nations wanted yeah. wanted a single and that's what they chose. Right, right. I okay. think they should have chose Seek and Destroy. But I also get it. It's a pretty catchy song. Yeah, for sure it is. Alright, what do you think about anesthesia? Base soul, take one. First of all, bold ass move to throw a bass solo on your debut record, but they were doing it live, and it's what better way to highlight your badass bass player than hey man, you want you put that solo you wrote on the record? Well, it's just I it's think weird. He, it's, I, it's a weird thing to do. I think he was even doing it in Trauma, and I think that's the thing they right. saw when when um when Trauma was playing at the Whiskey. Yeah, when they they thought it was a guitar player. Yeah, so I just think that was always attached to Cliff. Yeah. I saw a really funny meme on Instagram today. It was like a picture of Cliff, cool picture of Cliff, and it said, uh, I don't always play one of the most amazing bass solos in the world, but when I do, I do it in one take. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and like we mentioned earlier, it's it's like it's just a really kind of a small snapshot of that piece of music because yeah. he never played it the same twice. Right. Well, and it's something that has become so iconic with the band, thanks to Cliff. Thanks that, to Clint, yes. Th- thanks to Clint, yeah. <laughs> Clint Burton. <laughs> 
that I mean, present day, you got Robert up there annihilating it and just playing Man, it fucking awesome. When Robert played it, and then they put Cliff on the big screen. Oh my gosh! Slow mo video of Day at the Green. Oh my gosh! It's so good. It's yeah. just it was so touching, very very uh, emotional. It was. It really was. I remember like, and the crowd just erupted when Cliff's image came up there. It's like right. we've we've talked about this numerous times. How 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 well Metallica still in, includes him as part of the whole ethos that is metallica i think he's always with them you know oh, yeah not he totally to get is. cheesy but you think back in the day when burton would play they had a picture of robert <laughs> yeah i do <laughs> from suicide tendencies playing they're like look i know we're on the raven all for one tour and our we have no budget and we're making six hundred dollars a night but can we get a 50 foot jumbotron that we can put robert trujillo <laughs> no maybe just a little television or something <laughs> they'll roll out the television like when you're in school and they roll yeah. out a tv yeah or maybe do it on a uh, on a um, what were those things called? Um, like a projector. Yeah, but the projector. The uh, fuck. What was oh, the oh the um, damn? What was that called? I could I would have said it if you hadn't just said this. Yeah, an overhead projector. Overhead projector. Yes, of course. Um, this is where we're doing our chemistry problem. They're yeah, putting with your protractors. <laughs> protractors. Protractors. Um, I mean, yeah. This is this is one of the most classic moments on any recorded Metallica record. Absolutely. I mean. Obviously, Cliff had many more moments to shine on the next two records. You know, like the what you thought was a guitar solo on Orion is actually a bass solo and stuff like that. Right. But and I mean, Call of Cthulhu also. Yeah. And man, I, I, I think I'll still say it. I probably said this on the first time we did this episode. Mm-hmm. I could have done without Lars coming in on the drums. I agree. But, you know, but I thought, I agree. I mean, it, it's become a class, it's, it's, it's become, you know, well, here's we're used the, to it here's now. What that, here's what that signals, and it's on all these live shows. Yeah. That's when he starts fucking ripping. So, because before all that is kind of these melodic motifs. Yeah. Um, but when Lars comes in, he gets a backbeat. Yeah. He starts fucking that ripping. That wah pedal comes on. It's just. That's He's what, kind of fucking with that all throughout. That's but, probably when Kirk was like, hmm, what's that you're using? Cliff, come here for a minute. Show me that. Can I borrow that thing? What is that neat contraption? <laughs> I'm Kirk. But. Um, Kirk's is reading like a Tales from the Crypt comic book. He looks up. What is that? He's got it in front of his face and he just like pulls it, slowly it, pull, pulls it down. down. His eyes come over the top of it. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't love when Lars comes in on it, but uh, you are right though. It, it is that moment where Cliff just starts to I just rip. feel like if Lars is going to come in, the whole band should. At the very least, they should just all hit a, a one a note and let him, a diamond or a or football. A football. <laughs> <laughs> and just let Cliff do his thing. Kind of like on the intro to, uh, what was the one we were talking about earlier where he's just fucking uh, was that the intro to Whiplash, right? Yeah, right. And he's going nuts on the bass, and they're all just kind of going, digga, 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 right. digga, you know? Maybe it's, something it's like a, that. This is a better bed for him to to lay that shit on. But obviously, it is what it is, and we love it. And it is short and sweet. I do appreciate that about it. It yeah. doesn't go on and on. It's, right. it's not some sort of like jerk off moment. It's like, it's the short, sweet, badass thing. I mean, God, if you, you know, when you watch old footage of Cliff, and I mean, his fucking right hand, those fingers were just like, just. Well, and his melodic sensibility and his. And you can see in his face, man, his eyes are closed, his head's back, he's lost in it. Oh, yeah. And his, I I can just see as a player, I can see myself landing on certain things that I know worked and just sort of st- hovering around that. Yeah. But he just, and, and everything I've seen of him playing it live, he's just going for new shit every time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's probably trying to either outdo himself or challenge himself. I or, think he's just channeling whatever the wherever the piece came from yeah. emotionally the first time. And I think he's just trusting it. Yeah, for sure. Which is what all truly, truly inspired and touched musicians do. Yeah, for sure. Myself included. Of course. 
Uh, now we get on to uh, pro- maybe my favorite song on the record, Whiplash. I don't think it's my favorite song. It's a thrash masterpiece, though. Oh, uh, yeah. It's called Whiplash, first of all. Well, and it's just a fast, brutal, no-holds-barred oh, yeah. fucking jaunt. Yep. And again, the lyrics are, you know, the lyrics are more afford- a sort of like call to arms to all the trues out there. All the trues, man. Late at night, all systems go. You've come to see the show. We do our best, and you you do the rest. You make it real, you know. It's a feeling deep inside that drives you fucking mad. A feeling of a hammerhead you needed oh so bad. It's almost a song to to the fans. For I mean, sure. It's Yeah, it's, it's a, about them. And you know, who was it that someone wrote to us recently and talked about, you know, they've sort of changed the end to say that instead of we're Metallica, they say because you're Metallica. Right. The sort of bigger idea and how it grew and morphed and it became, they sort of brought the fans in. It's always been about the fans. Yeah. I like that the song has lived on in that way. Yeah. It's a family song. Song about the family. Get all the kids around the, get, roast some chestnuts on the fire. Yeah, get some chestnuts out. And we're gonna sing Whiplash Call your together, grandmother kids. Over. Yeah, she's fuck, already in a neck brace. Fuck so this kumbaya shit. We're singing Whiplash tonight, kids. <laughs> yes, Whiplash loves me. <laughs> we are kind of burning through these kind of fast. Anything else you want to say about Whiplash? I mean, fucking killer, man. I mean, honestly, I, one of my favorite parts is just the intro of the song. Me too. It's it, like it, it, there's a good like excitement building. It's coming in, you know. To go back to Kiss, it does kind of sound a little bit like the intro to Love Gun. Love Gun. Remember when we um we went we were at the basement, the Beast, the basement East. Yeah. And I was and our friend Jack from Bayside was spinning vinyl, and we got him to play some Kiss. We got him to start playing some because he was like he did Love Gun. I remember he did Love Gun. There was a point where he started playing like Sepultura and like. Some crazy shit because it was like what they call like emo nights they do over there. Right. So he was playing some like you know pop punk stuff, whatever. And then, but Jack was just like, man, I just want to play like fucking Municipal Waste and you know Nuclear Assault and all these bands. <laughs> I was like, well, just do it, dude. You're one DJing, so you do whatever you, you want. Yeah. Um, if I had if I had to maybe pick like their top five thrash songs, I'd probably put this in the top five. Yeah, it's up there, and I love that they still play it, and it still kicks ass. Yeah. All right, uh, Phantom Lord. Out as a fountain lord. Out as a phantom. I think he's actually a song about Torben. Really? He's been a phantom. He appears. The phantom Torb. He, he appears when he's needed. You know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Is that the phantom too? <laughs> another uh, David Stanko, right? Yep. So I guess we can thank old David for that. The other the other crazy thing, I know we talked about this on the original Kill em All episode, is that everything with Dave getting kicked out of the band and Kurt coming in happened so fast Kirk didn't even have time to write solos. Right. I mean, if you listen to the No Left to Leather cassette, I mean, the solos are... Kirk pretty much did them exactly the same. I, th- I th- always felt like... And I haven't analyzed this because I don't listen to No Left to Leather that much, that right. demo. But I think it's basically like the first eight bars. Kind of. No, DV- there's some stuff that's all the way through. It's, really? Oh, yeah. There's some There's some that's straight up all Mustaine solos. It's another song that's real heavy on metal imagery and leather imagery, and I actually counted the other day. Okay. How many times did you guess the word metal is mentioned on Kill 'Em All? On Kill 'Em All? Um, hmm, I'm going to say 21. Close, 19. 19. That's still a lot of it's leathers. A lot. Yeah. That is including the 
the metal militia refrain where he says metal militia three times in every chorus. Sure. But there's a lot of just casual... I mean, in the first verse of Phantom Lord, uh, he talks about uh, the deafening sound of metal nears. Your body's waiting for the for his whips. The taste of leather on your lips. How many times do you think they mention leather? You count this too? Yeah. It's uh, not as many. I, I figured. I figured But not, it's a lot nine. for one record. No, it's four. Four? Okay. But that's a lot for one record. I mean, I get self-conscious when I'm writing songs and I, I repeat... The word leather? The word leather twice. Leather it features a lot in your in your punk rock and your reggae songs. Yeah, leather is a huge theme in reggae, has any, reggae music. Has any Rastafarian ever worn or seen leather? Probably. I'd, I'd imagine. Not like, like not like James Hetfield did in the early 80s. I like but. how you answered that seriously. <laughs> you know, probably. Actually, probably. I mean, you know. They, you know, the chances are pretty high that they probably did I mean, see, I know some leather. reggae guys and they wear leather jackets. Now, I did want to insert a clip here because okay. I've always felt like this chorus, uh, hear the cry of war. Yeah. I think Pantera ripped them off with Primal Concrete Sledge. So Come put- and be with me. Live my twisted dream. Oh, okay. Let's play the chorus of Phantom Lord and then the chorus of Primal Concrete Sledge. We'll let you decide. What do you mm. think? Pretty close. Pretty close, yeah. Well, Cowboys from Hell was, what, 89? Cowboys from Hell... It's 89, Yeah, right? it was late 80s. Yeah. Um, actually, uh... Hold on a minute. Let me get my protractor out. <laughs> pr- I measure time with a protractor. <laughs> you said protractor. <laughs> a protractor? What is it? Protractor, right? That's what I said. A protractor. A protractor. I said it fast, Ethan. Oh, jeez. I can't enunciate every math utensil I use. <laughs> a graphing calculator. No animals were harmed in the use of this Texas Instrument graphing calculator. Texas Instruments. Do you have one of those? Of course, other calculators. You put 8008 and it would spell boob. Yep. <laughs> Don't forget the that, five. That kids is how we used to... <laughs> no, I just want one there was There was some joke, I remember... Uh, with the calculator, it, it turned into boo basically, but it was like you're adding numbers and it turned out to be whatever number. And when you turn it upside down, it said boobless. <laughs> yes, totally. I don't remember the joke. I'm sure someone can. This re- is some real us. serious pre internet entertainment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, you can put boob on a calculator. Yeah, if you type in these numbers and then turn it upside down, it says boobless. That was actually the only pornography we had. <laughs> that was spelling that was, boob. That's still my porn. Uh, Ethan, where are you going with that calculator? Don't worry about it. I'll be back in a minute. Just a second. You're getting clear on it before you give it back. <laughs> clear, clear. That's like a, that was the primitive erasing history. Yeah. Okay. No remorse. Onward. This is probably my favorite deep cut on the record. I love the rhythm of the guitars on the chorus. Right. Well, I just love this. It's super metal, but the war without it. And I do love how the song starts with that groove. Into a ripping solo right away. They just rip your fucking head off the top. I do like, like back then, they don't care if like to start the song with a solo. 
Well, they didn't do it often. That's the only time. I know, but like, it was a, a common thing on, on early like early thrash records. You'd hear that a lot, like right. where the song kicks in, it's just like lead right away. Right. I loved it. It's, well, it's, that's metal. Metal madness. Hey, man. No posers for that. Only trues. Only trues. Only trues get it. Uh, cool song. Creepy lyric. No remorse, no regrets. What a great bridge, too, by the way. What it meant. Completely changes the tempo. The attack bullets are flying. People are dying. That thing. The attack bullet belts are flying. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you need to re- reload, you've got all the ammunition right there around yep. your waist. Or your wrist, too, yeah. Or your wrist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, I just love it. It goes into that. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So good. It is good. Clinton is dying. Clinton is dying? I was trying to do something with your name. Pile of pies? That's your pile of pies. <laughs> pile of pies. Those are dying. How those are crying? Pile of pies are frying. <laughs> the pile of pies are frying. Delicious. All right, let's, let's keep working our way through this song. Yeah. Uh, through this track uh, list. Uh, Seek and Destroy. What can we say about this song? It's a fucking I mean, metal classic. It's a, it's a thrash metal classic. It's still played to this day. I mean, they... Doesn't get old. Doesn't get old. I, I'm not tired of hearing it. No, not at all. I, lo- and I, I love when we went to the show together. I saw it in Philly, too. Other oh, drum set comes out of the stage, and they go into Seek and Destroy, talk about going back to the garage in the old days and this and that. I mean, it's fucking great. Well, I mean, we had a very special thing happen to the Detroit show during Seek and Destroy. Uh, yes, we did. Do you want to tell our listeners if they maybe are haven't been on the ride with us or need a recap? Yeah, so long story short, we set up uh, to record a podcast at a bar across the street, which we now have been corrected on. It's Hockey Town, USA. Hockey Town. God, um, that's right. Anyways, this sweet family was there, and they have a daughter named Kendalyn, and she, they came up to where we were set up at this place, and we gave her a sticker, and she put it... She had a little battle vest on. Mm-hmm. She put it, like, right on the front. And it's a listener of ours. Who, he wasn't at the time, but his name's Aaron Ginther. Yeah. And uh, he's been to, like, 87 Metallica shows. Yeah, he's 8,700. massive diehard. Yeah. Um, but well, we s- talked to Kindlin first, right? We were kind of talking to all of them, and she was, like, asking, like, oh, can I have one of these stickers or patches? And we're like, yeah, of course. So she took the sticker and put it right on her battle vest, right on front. And so fast forward to the end of the night... They're about to play Seek and Destroy, and Lars turns around to the snake pit, and who does he pull up on stage? None other than our little friend, Ken- Kendallin. And we're like, no way, that's her. And then all of a sudden, we all start hitting each other, like, dude, 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 look. She was on the massive jumbo screen. And her sticker was still on her jacket, so the Metal Up Your Podcast logo was on the 80,000 foot tall Megatron in front of that entire crowd so in Detroit. Cool. <clears throat> I think we got two new listeners after that night. <laughs> It was a cool, <clears throat> a really cool moment for me and Clint, and Paul was with us too. And just to see our logo, our little logo that could, mm. on the Jumbotron. Very cool. Yeah. And then that that little video got like press and stuff. Yeah, it's cool. It was awesome. So that that song just takes on special meaning for me now. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget that. Yeah. But I mean, what a classic chorus. I mean, like... Oh, unbelievable. Uh, you know what another thing I love about the song that, that I just sort of latched onto is... Um, the, brum, 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 the way the song starts, yeah. it's both Kirk and James out of the gate playing the riff. Yeah. Whereas what they do a lot on records and just music production in general is one guy will start the riff, then when the band comes down, all right. The other guy will start. The other guy coming to yeah. just beef it up. But I love how they both play that riff from the yeah. top. I think some of the, the rhythm riffs in this song are some of the most classic in metal history. and For sure. 
they're so simple and I feel like I can't write something that good if I try. It's so hooky. I mean, even just the dun 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 simple stuff like that. Um dun 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 da 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 dun 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 ran do 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 like all that stuff. Well, it's, and to, it's just a great pop song in a way because it's, which I, I don't hope that doesn't butter anybody, but it's a pop song meaning it's just easy to latch on to. Yeah. Every single section, scanning the scene in the city tonight, that, that's a hook. Yeah. Morning, on, on our way, hide it. That's a hook. Yep. Searching, seeking, I destroy. I mean, it's just yeah. hook after hook after yep. fucking Yep, it's very, hook. very catchy. And I mean, it's like, and when you, and most of you who are listening have seen Metallica, I mean, when they play that, and James yells "searching" and then gets off the mic. What does what do eighty thousand people do? Right, Sick and it's destroy. a great it's, sing along, dude. It gives you chills when you're in the crowd singing along to that. It's right. such a good song, and it holds up, man. I mean, the recording holds up, the song holds up, and Every, some great Kirk solos. Yeah, Kirk Kirk really shines on this song. I think. Yeah, it's one of the his. I think Four Horsemen in this song are some of his best moments on the record. Yeah, for sure. A lot of the lead playing on the record, and maybe we can chalk this up to old Hello. Hello is. I don't want to say the word disposable because I don't mean it that way, but sort of just like fast, thrashy soloing. Just really fast, yeah. Whereas, it, where I, I can't sing any of those, like, you know what I mean? Like, if I hear them, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. But I don't know if I could sing them. Right. But especially the slow section of Four Horsemen and a lot of the solos on Seek and Destroy yeah. are very memorable. They poke out. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they're iconic sure. at this point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Metal Militia. Probably my least favorite on the record. Hmm, is it my least favorite? The lyrics are pretty rough. Yeah, they're a little rough. But you know, this record's not known for its lyrics. I, that's okay. It gets a pass. It's a bitch and riff. Bitch and riffs in it. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Thunder and lightning. The gods take revenge. Senseless destruction. Victims of fury are cowardly now, running for safety, stabbing the harlot to pay for the sins, leaving the virgin. Suicide running as if it were free. Ripping and tearing. It's like a slayer of lyric. It's kind of this real slayery, <laughs> real satany. But there's some cool. I mean, some of the uh, rhythm parts in this song are bitching though. Like, yeah, I think musically it's cool, and I like the idea of metal, a metal militia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, even meaning of lyrics aside, when I'm sure when when you know, trues as as we're saying, saw the name Metal Militia. Oh, I want to be in that. Yeah, exactly. That's like a gang, man. That's my fucking thrash metal gang. I'd be in the Metal Militia. I would would not pass initiation. (laughs) Probably not. Uh, I'd try, though. I'd really try hard. You gotta go mug an old lady. That's what? It. For real? Really? Why? I don't want to. That's so mean. Well, you're not in the fucking metal militia. You you're scare a, me. You're a poser. You're not, you're not true. You gotta shove some of these bullets from my bullet belt up your butt. Well, I don't... I'd rather not. Can I just like the music? You're gonna literally jump in the fire. We're gonna make a huge bonfire. Jump, oh, here's the deal. It's really easy to... Here's how you get in the metal militia. You jump into the fire with Satan for half an hour. Yeah. Uh, you have to die to do that, so hopefully we can <laughs> resuscitate you, and then you'll be in the metal militia. It's really easy to be in the metal militia. All you have to do is die. Yeah. That's all? Oh, that's it. Easy. Easy. <laughs> I do, as cheesy as it is, I do like that it ends with the sound of boot stomping. I yeah. Do, I love, like, I love I love production gimmicks like that on records. I, I love, 
I love for of a course, record yeah. to transport me to another place. So I, I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan. So I, I love anytime records have that kind of like I'm thinking. I'm thinking about like um, Wish You Were Here, the record. Are you familiar with that yeah. record at all? Yeah, sure. That when they do have a cigar, you hear them like go into an uh, like a record exec's office. Yes, yeah. I mean they did that a ton with like money. Right, and time. Like I yeah, mean, they, they, a time is cool. It just it just takes you into that place. Yeah, before the song "Wish You Were Here," you hear like a radio being dialed, and the first, you know, the first several minutes of "Wish You Were Here" is as if you're hearing it on a radio. Yeah, I love I and love then it comes that stuff. forward in the mix, and it's just you're just in another fucking world. The yeah. Beatles were really good at that. Yeah, there's a, a lot of that's very common in like punk rock, reggae, stuff like that. Like either it's clips from something or like. Similar like the boot stomping that kind of stuff. And Metallica ended up doing it. I mean the the nuclear blast and fight fire, the the bells ringing and for whom the bell yes. tolls, the the cool foghorn and fade to black. Yep. All the whooshing and whirring and call of Cthulhu. I mean they they started doing that shit immediately after this oh, record. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know I back it, man. I back it a hundred and ten thousand percent. Ethan, God, that's so much percent. <laughs> Well, Can you measure that with a protractor? We've been balls deep and kill them all now for almost two hours. I'm pretty sore down there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can get these out. <sighs> we have to leave them. They're in the fire and they can't join the middle militia. Yeah, forced castration. Yeah. Um, I know the track by track went by a little bit quicker than last time, but I mean, God, I mean, what can you say? I mean, your least favorite song on this record is still a kick-ass song. Oh, I mean, my least favorite song on this record, I think, is better than any other thrash song I've heard. I'm not, I'm not big what on. What about Whiplash? What about that one? <laughs> I meant non-metallic. I know, I know. You know, I'm a, I'm a Slayer cat when it comes to the Big Four. Yeah, but for anyone who's heard me wax on about anyone in the Big Four, I just I think Metallica smokes all their asses. Yes, of course, big time. Oh yeah, absolutely, they do. And you know, fuck it. I'm gonna fanboy about Metallica. We're we're an all Metallica podcast. Sorry. Oh shit, you're right. Oh crap. Forgot. Hello, Ethan. I was waiting for us to move on to Anthrax. <laughs> well, you're gonna go see them here in Nashville soon, right? Uh, if I can, yeah. February 5th, they're playing uh, Marathon Music Works in Nashville with Killswitch Engage, who I don't really love. They've got some cool stuff, but uh, they were back with their original singer, I think. It is depressing that Anthrax is playing there. That's what a venue. That's what 2,500. Yeah, it's pretty small. I mean, that's the thing, man, with the, you know, I'll, uh, what's probably, his name? Megadeth would probably play there, too, if they came. Oh, wait, no, Megadeth played the arena, didn't they? Well, they were opening for Iron Maiden. Okay, so they didn't headline it. Uh, if they, I would think if Megadeth were to headline somewhere in Nashville, I could see them, if, if the support acts were, were good enough, I could see them doing, like, Municipal Auditorium. Which is what, like 5,000? Maybe five to eight. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But I don't know where else, you know, they probably play the end. The end. 180 oh people. One <laughs> well, of Slayer played like Slayer played Marathon, I think. Slayer. No, I uh, I saw Slayer at uh, actually Megadeth to play here too at a War Memorial. A oh, War Memorial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the Slayer one I, didn't look sold out. Hmm. And I, I'd say that's maybe four to five thousand. Right. I could be wrong, but um, but that just goes to show. And Dave Ellison of Megadeth talked about that one time where he's like. Yeah, people talk about the big four, but there's one and then three of us. Yeah. I mean, the gap between, if, you were, if you're going to call Slayer the next in line or whatever, I'd say it's debatable between them and Megadeth, but whoever it is. I agree. The, probably the, gap, the gap between Metallica and the next band is gigantic. And then it gets smaller. And with to bring those. this back to Kill Em All, I guess what I, my point about Mental Militia is that I think, 
I think the evidence that would, I, I, I think for how it would all play out, the evidence is already here on this first record. Yes. Yes. You know, especially when you got songs like Whiplash, Seek and Destroy, Four Horsemen, Hit the Lights. It's Or just, or, or if, if you, you know, want a, a you know, fun little experiment, like sit down one day and listen to Kill Em All, then listen to the Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good. You know, listen to Armed and Dangerous by Anthrax. Like and then the, what's the first Slayer when Hell Awaits? Uh, I can't remember I right think now. I think it's Hell Awaits. Um, but go listen to the first record of, the, of each of the big four and Kill Em All is going to shine on top. Right. Easily, in my opinion. Well, this box set is rad. I mean, for those of you who can't afford it, we recommend checking it out. Don't worry, we can't either. <laughs> Thanks again to Kevin Van Dam for letting us borrow all these box sets so we can do this episode. Uh, we appreciate you guys sticking around with us. I know it's yeah. a longer episode, but we really wanted to do it justice. Yeah. For all! That's a metal pun. Have you heard a pun podcast? You heard that record? Yeah, but we're excited. I mean, again, thanks to Kevin Van Dam. We're excited to jump into Ride the Lightning box set, Master Puppets box set, and hopefully sometime this year, uh, an Injustice for All box set. Right. So we want to thank you all for listening. It, again, it was such a killer first year. We're really excited about I what's know, coming man. this year. Next week, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to sort of recap our anniversary party. Yeah. Um, send us an email, metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com. We'll read it on the show. Go leave us that iTunes review. You might win one of these box sets in the future. It's really easy to do. It just takes a minute, and it really does help us a lot. If you like the show, yeah. please consider doing it. If you really like the show... Like, really, really like it. Go check out the Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Metal Up Your Podcast. Consider getting involved at that level. Yeah. Shit's only going to get better this year with all the patrons. Agreed. Yeah. So, uh, I think... Is that it? I think that's it. That's, that's kill them all. Well... From Metal Up Your Podcast HQ, we'll go ahead and say peace. Adios. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs> <laughs>